Hello everybody and welcome to the 50th episode of the Alienverse Predator Galaxy podcast. It's your usual host, Corporal Hicks, or Aaron Percival in the real world, and joining me are my usual cohorts, Ridgetop. Hello again everyone. Xenomorphim. Greetings. And Omegamorph. Yeah, here. So, this is our 50th episode, and it's coming at a special time as well. So, naturally, we are obviously going to be talking about Kenner's retro alien and predator figures. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) And I'm, of course, just joking. It is none other than our Alien Covenant podcast. Now, this is actually the first podcast we'll have done straight after a film's come out. I think just after Prometheus came out was when we had a bit of a drop-in podcast output. So we finally did one of those last uh, last episode, which was uh, Ridgetop and I and a special guest, Andrew E.C. Gasker. So if you haven't listened to that and you want to listen to us spend two hours whinging about Prometheus, well, actually it's not that bad, but you know, um, <laughs> that was our last one. And this episode is going to be two hours of uh, Ridgetop whinging about Alien Covenant. <laughs> me sighing in the background i'll restrain myself but yeah seriously so uh, this is um it's a bit of a fun one because it's the first time we've actually got to cover a film you know not long after it's uh, actually it's been released uh, before we do get into the meat and bones though and we do do what fans do and nitpick and praise and bitch we're gonna have a brief you know couple of sentences of impressions about the film and where we would rank it in you know the whole whole film whole film listing so I'm gonna go first. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, and I didn't hate it. There's equal measure of things in Covenant that I really liked, and equal measure of things that made me groan and put my head in my hands. Uh, I would place it below the initial trilogy. I love Alien, Aliens, and Alien Three all the same. Even you know acknowledging Alien Three's train wreck of a production and its flaws. Um, I would place Covenant just under those and above Prometheus, Resurrection, and the AVPs. Uh, what about you, Ridgetop? For me, it was pretty disappointing. Uh, I did post my review in the form, and I, I just kind of went off on it. It was a lengthy review. But overall, just to kind of sum it up briefly, for me, it, it felt like it wasn't satisfying as a Prometheus sequel, and it wasn't satisfying as an Alien prequel. So... I was no fan of Prometheus, but it was less effective than Prometheus for me. And all the things people complained about in Prometheus were kind of even worse in this one. It's like Scott doubled and tripled down on some of the criticisms of Prometheus. So I would probably rank it under them all. And that includes the AVP films for me. I know. Yeah. But that's that's what I thought of it. Cinemorphim? Well... I, I remember a few months back or so, and I I was kind of predicting in my head that it would sort of have a lot of crowd-pleasing instances, but um, it would feel more like um, an emulation trying to be alien and aliens, but not it never actually equate to them. And when I watched it, I yes, I was entertained. Um, I, I think it's more entertaining than Prometheus, um, but I feel my initial prediction was right. It, it doesn't feel satisfying. Um, I'd put it more or less... Uh, it's difficult for me because <laughs> I've kind of put like Alien 3 and Resurrection on a similar level because I think 
both of them did certain things right, which the other one did wrong. I kind of want to put it on a par to Alien 3, where Alien 3 had more like standout performance moments, but Covenant, you know, it doesn't have like the magical egg and you you, you can tell characters apart. So it kind of like balances it out. So I kind of say around about Alien 3 entertainment wise, but the performances in Alien 3 are like acting wise. There are some certainly better moments. Um, the, the, The thing with it was... I would say trying to encapsulate my feelings about Covenant. When, like, they came to do Aliens, they tried to make the best story they could, the best adventure they could for the audience. And they thought, well, we'll be lucky to get a sequel. If it happens, that's great. With Covenant, it feels like a filler episode. It feels like the purpose of it is there to bridge Prometheus to whatever they end up calling the sequel to Covenant. It doesn't feel like they try to make Covenant its own signature, its own thing. It was it feels like yes it was entertaining but it just definitely feels like a like a filler episode. It doesn't feel like something in its own right. And while there are moments that do entertain it doesn't have the rewatch value that I was hoping it would have. So that's my my view of like to try and encapsulate the whole thing. It's it's entertaining, but it, it's it's nowhere near satisfying. Okay. And uh, Omega Moth. Yeah, I was actually uh, surprised to find that it was not as bad as a war as a, I suppose. Uh, it was going to be and you know it's certainly not as a much as a train wreck as Prometheus and I actually found that it had a lot of merit in you know crafting a character study for you know the David character and you know expanding on what they did for the previous film and I think it would benefit a lot from not being an alien film because I can just cannot see it as a part of the alien tale, but on its own, it has multiple merits. It actually works as a, you know, kind of retro hammer horror kind of, you know, movie. And, you know, that's pretty much it. And I wish, you know, it had better editing and pacing in the third act, but it actually works pretty well as a story and much better than it does from Prometheus. And that's actually an interesting place to start this off, is its relation to Prometheus and Alien. Now, Ridge Top, in a, one of the reviews I think you shared to Facebook, I think it was, I can't remember if you mentioned this on fa- on the forums, but you said it felt like a poor sequel to Prometheus and a poor prequel to Alien. And Xenomorphin, you said it feels like a filler in between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this I found this interesting because I feel like we've all sort of got different takes on that. To me, Covenant felt like a a restart. It felt like, to be honest, this this was what I thought it was going to be going into it actually, and that was it took elements of Prometheus, uh, discarded elements of Prometheus as well, and tried to merge them together with a 
essentially what I think was a bit of a retread of, you know, the last two thirds of Alien into a film. And I think from a sort of narrative point of view and a rush point of view, it fails completely there. I think you guys are, you know, at Ridgetop, I think you're right in that it does fail to meet that mark because it leaves a, a lot of the elements of Prometheus hanging. You know, Prometheus's overarching questions aren't answered. They're just abandoned in favour of David. Uh, which David had, you know, the focus on David, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I know you don't really like the character Xenomorphin, but I, I quite enjoy David. <laughs> and then we get this whole thing of all that 20th Century Fox seemed to take away from the criticism of alien, of Prometheus, sorry, was that it was just missing an alien. And honestly, I don't even remember that being an issue with no. Prometheus's feedback. You know, granted, I sort of dropped off the map a little bit around that time, but I'm fairly certain they didn't kick up the stink. Fans didn't kick up a stink about the lack of aliens as much as Fox seemed to think they did. Yeah, I mean, I remember when they had initially announced that it they were going in a different direction and it wasn't going to be the straight alien prequel that was originally reported. And at first I was a little disappointed with that, but it wasn't too long before I got on board and I was like, okay, they could do some some interesting direction with this if they, they focus on the space jockeys. So I was very open to the idea with Prometheus, and as far as not having an alien in it, that was a long way down on my list of complaints with that movie. Same. Yeah, I, I do remember there were some voice criticism about, oh, they should have had an alien, blah, blah. But they were like the the superficial criticisms. They were, you know, they, they, you did see those comments crop up, but that wasn't what made up the bulk of criticism about the film especially the constructive criticism they they would just people saying oh it should have had this that the other yeah it could have had that but would that have made it a better film probably not um i find it interesting what what um david said uh, earlier about it's you know it would have felt better as its own property i'm largely in agreement with that but i would i'll go a little bit further i would say in terms of covenant just as its own film i felt like my immediate impression after watching it was that it was um not necessarily like a superior but it was a decent horror film but as an alien film it felt average Hmm. so i and i do kind of remember when i saw prometheus i thought yeah you could have like taken away like the wayland stuff it didn't have to be that and scott could have like and Lindelof, they could have just pushed it into its own thing. And I think here, I think that kind of like reinforces that message. It does feel like if they had have just made it its own thing, I think this wouldn't. It's it's not so much that it's, it's suffering from comparisons, but it's it would have felt like more of a cohesive whole. Like one of the big problems I had with this, I think Angry Joe mentions it on he's a YouTuber for those who don't know, in his review of this, it felt like it was it was too it had too many like tropes. Oh definitely. But I think if it had it but you notice that more for it being an alien film because there are characters that do certain things where you go well, we've seen this happen too many times it's going to happen oh yeah and it's just the way I predicted whereas if it was its own film it wasn't an alien film people would have been saying oh that was inspired by the alien film but because it's its own thing we can forgive it more I think a problem that we had I personally had with Covenant was that I knew I was watching a horror film and 
the characters obviously didn't. And I also knew I was watching an alien film. Now, this is sort of skipping on to bits later to do with, like, um, the characters and what have you, but whatever, we'll get there now. You know, you, you said it was full of tropes. It is. Covenant it is. is an immensely predictable, by-the-numbers sort of narrative in terms of those horror elements. You know, we have the girl going off on her own. Granted, mm-hmm. I do believe within the narrative that made perfect sense. I don't think so at all. I, I facepalmed at that moment because it's like you just arrived at this big alien city that you know nothing about and people on your team have just died and it's like, I'm going to go freshen up. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it, it made no sense for me. We know that she's a character in a horror film and we know going off on her own is not going to help her. However, bear with me, David had told them that they were safe. They don't know at this point that they can't trust David. He hasn't gone skewy. We, they haven't seen Prometheus. Um, she wants to go and fucking freshen up on a Billy Todd out of the way of others. She didn't know she was in danger. But we do because we know she's in a horror film. Same as Brett in Alien. But she she kind of... Brett, as far as Brett knew, they were just hunting a little snake-like thing. All those characters, and even if she'd forgotten, someone else on the team should have reminded her. Two big things have just come out which they had a fuck of a time trying to even injure and they know they're still out there somewhere they don't know what else is on the planet someone should have said okay you want to go off on your own that's fine i'll turn my back but i'm gonna go along with you with a gun and then when the inevitable bad thing does happen to her there are loud screams nobody seems to hear and later on again there's gunfire Nobody seems to hear. And that what makes it feel superficial. The story doesn't act common sense at those points. I agree that it kind of like feels like, you know, she'd want to go off and fine, but she should be really nervous at that point. If you, if you just witnessed those kind of things just happening, you'd want some kind of protection just for peace of mind. And if you don't want someone hanging around with you, you know, you, you should at least want that peace of mind with you. And that, that's where it felt, it, I, I, I have to agree, it did feel a little cringeworthy. Like, it felt mm. like, okay, I can ride with this because it's a horror film. But it, it made me think, this is Ridley Scott. This is the film where he's meant this is supposed to be going one better than Alien. And it feels like Alien did it so much better at that point. It is just someone turning into a red shirt. You, there should be a moment of could they survive or the the thing has to overcome whatever protection she's got around her. But it is literally just a girl going off on her own. She is exposing her skin and the vampire gets her as it is. It felt that's what made it too predictable. It should have been better than that. Ridley Scott and an alien film should be better than that at this point. And I know we're going to come to it later on, but that applies for that shower scene. And we talked about in another podcast, we said there's a chance it's not like it seems in the advert. It could be better in the end result. And what happened, it was just like it was in the advert. Yeah, I was initially... I was initially defending that shower scene. I thought it would be long and, and drawn out and creepy and disturbing, but it was quick and it was tropey. Like everyone was um, insinuating it would be at first, but that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. <laughs> I 
just I just feel that because there are, I did find it entertaining, but there are those little points where they're going, what? This is meant to be in an alien for this is 2017, and we're still covering we're covering the kind of territory that Wes Craven lampooned in Scream. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm a horror movie aficionado, and it was tropey by horror movie standards. And, you know, when you hear Ridley Scott returning to the world of Alien, there's a certain expectation there with how we've seen Prometheus and now Covenant, in my opinion, anyway, turn out. It makes you wonder if uh, the original Alien was just the perfect storm of solid writing, some incredible artistry, um, Giger and Ron Cobb, uh, you know, legendary artists, as well as the direction of Ridley Scott, who was a new director and he he only had so much creative control. He originally wanted the movie to end with the alien ripping off Ridley's head and recording a creepy message. I, I agree with you in principle, but that is a bit of a, a bit of a legend. I wouldn't say he originally thought of that. It was just some random drunk idea he had and he threw out there that got quite rightfully turned down. But yeah, I'm I'm completely with you in regards to Alien is Alien is a result of a group of immensely talented people working together to strengthen weaknesses and bring a full you know a full collaborative effort to the film and that is something we all i say we all personally i i will say i was guilty of this criminally forgot you know in that gap between films when everybody was going oh ridley scott should come back and do an alien film and we got that we got prometheus and it sucked balls and we've got covenant and it's underwhelming you don't you don't think it sucked balls uh, Prometheus. You kind of like Prometheus, don't you? Well, I'm middling with Prometheus, but it wasn't. It's nowhere near. It's nowhere near Aliens level of quality, is it? Well, neither well, is Covenant. Think... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. As much as I enjoy Covenant, it is also no near, nowhere near Aliens level of quality. Scott was one part of a machine that made Alien so great, and we're now at that point. One of you guys might have mentioned it in one of your reviews. I can't remember. You know, comparing him to um, George Lucas is a uh, is a victim of his own fame and success. People won't dare say no to him anymore. You know, it's just... The thing is, Ridley Scott is not a writer. That's the problem. He's got a lot of influence over the creative process of the the actual writing process right now. He's a great visual artist, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't understand the disciplines of story structure. And yes, there was that thing about, you know, ripping off Ripley's head doing the ventriloquist act, but he has actually got form on coming up with weird off-tangent ideas back when um, some people dislike it, some people love it. Personally, I love it. Legend. When they were making that film, one, it's in the the behind-the-scenes features on the DVD. People can go and check this out. There's one famous part they recount where he went to a a female producer and gave them this, this idea for a change in the story, and she just looked at him and she said, Ridley, you can't have the villain fuck the princess. And at that point, he went, oh, yeah, of course, you're right, stupid idea, terrible idea. And he went off because someone told him no. At this point, he's got... To, yeah, it's, he, he realised as soon as, but she had to tell him, you're having the, it's basically a dark fairy tale, but you're having the villain fuck the princess. It's not going to work in narrative structure. If he is less... Especially when he looks just, like a giant devil. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, there is definite subtext in that film, but it works because it's subtext and because the, there's that whole underlying message of temptation. If Ridley Scott were to stick with directing, zero influence over the writing, we could potentially, yeah, you could potentially have something worse. But I think that's a lot of where some of the weirder ideas are seem from what we've read in interviews and stuff, seem to be coming from. It's like with um, Anderson, when we, a lot of us were hoping when he did the first of the AVP films, he would be in the, the mentality of when he did Event Horizon. He had no input on that story as far as I'm aware, or if he did, it was very, very slight. And it was like Ridley Scott with Alien, pretty much near the start of his career. And that's probably the best film he has ever helmed. And when it comes to stuff like Resident Evil and that, he has direct influence in the writing side of it, but he's not a writer. Same problem. Ridley Scott, as beautiful as his creations can be, he is not a writer. I think that's a good assessment. You know, I I don't like criticizing Ridley Scott. He's one of my childhood heroes and, and, when I do criticize him, a lot of it is my own perspective and my own assumptions. My former film teacher said something interesting. He said, I always thought of Wes Anderson as a art director looking for a movie. And his friend told him, well, that's how I've always felt about Ridley Scott. And you look at some of Ridley Scott's classics, you know, his strongest mm. films, Alien, Blade Runner, The Martian, in my opinion, which is that's what really restored my faith in him after Prometheus. And, and that's why on some level Covenant was, was such a letdown for me. It definitely seems like he his strengths lie in world building, in making beautiful, visually stunning and complex imagery. Um, but when he's directly involved in the writing process, we just get some crazy ideas that, that um, especially with a big franchise film like Alien, um, people don't want. And it's it's weird because I've always thought of Ridley Scott is someone who would never really do sequels, especially to his own movies. Until Prometheus, the only sequel he had really done was Hannibal. And that was a sequel to uh, Silence of the Lambs. That was not his film. I just don't like the direction he's taking us with these prequels. He's made the universe feel like a smaller place. And it's always this creative kind of back and forth, with, with um, especially with big franchises as well, with pleasing fans and pleasing mainstream audiences and what the studio wants. I think there's times where the studio has too much creative control. You see that in films like the thing prequel, and I'm sure we'll get Mm -hmm. to that later when we talk about the practical effects, but you also see that in movies like alien three. I think the studio wrestled away too much control from David Fincher. Uh, with Fox, we seem to, with, um, Scott, we seem to have the opposite problem. Fox is just giving him free reign to do whatever he likes. And the two biggest ideas that have have really changed everything in the alien universe have all originated from him. And a lot of the artists, even in the special features of of the films, have disagreed with those decisions, and there's a reason they did. So, anyway. No, I do think Scott is a man that should stick to making the visuals look awesome, should not be writing or being too directly involved with the narrative. Because the guy's mind runs at a thousand miles an hour... And things are constantly mm. changing. I mean, you you watch the Furious Gods documentary, and you can you can tell just how much him constantly churning out ideas is making it difficult for Space to get it all down. And as much as I like Space's uh, earlier drafts over the finished film, you know you can feel 
a lot of those sort of problems in in the script and i think he needs to stay away from too big of a narrative influence now you were saying um about the studio influence about scott having massive influence as well i am not sure the full story behind this you know obviously this is just stuff i'm i'm hearing and we haven't got the documentary um out yet but the alien stuff in covenant you know and i mentioned earlier about um fox thinking that was the only problem with it with prometheus with the lack of aliens the alien stuff in covenant was pretty much forced on on ridley as in it had to involve an alien so you have this guy whose his, his real interest is in david you know, I think that's yes. Pre- I think that's fairly plain to anybody watching the film can see that. Definitely. So you've got this studio who think that a the name and the creature is all that it takes for success, and you've got Scott who'd moved away from this, found the good part of Prometheus. As far as I'm concerned, I know you, some of you guys may not agree, but you know, found <laughs> a strength from Prometheus that a lot of people attached to, which was David, and he wants to do this. They want to do that. And at the end of the day, while Scott is still influential and he still seems to be the guardian of the franchise for the minute, he's still a businessman. And more than that, he's a businessman who knows how to play the game. He wants to play with David. He will play Fox's game to be allowed to do that. So this is where we get this awful, awful direction of David being the creator of the alien. Which sucks balls. Spoiler alert! (laughs) Oh, I... if if you're gonna whinge at me about spoilers, <laughs> I'll say it now. Just now in this case. will be filled with them. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're a fan, you should have seen the movie by now. Unless you're in China or Japan. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry guys. Spoilers. This thing is. Which you're be probably not listening to this podcast no. before. Anyway, so. so yeah, I I don't I I think some of the stuff comes from him not quite being left to his own accord of the studio, but him trying to make sure he gets to do what he wants by acquiescing to what the studio actually what the studio want him to include as well so you know this whole thing about him saying you want fucking aliens i'll give you fucking aliens i think <laughs> I, I think you can feel it and i think i said that at the time you remember there was a podcast a little while back and i said that quote sounded spiteful to me it sounded like a double-edged sword it didn't sound like someone who's i'm sure he's going to do it but it's it didn't that sound like someone who's putting him in there for the love of doing it it sounded yeah. like he's got a little bit pissed off and he just yeah, didn't, yeah. So he said, oh, i'm gonna give you it. and i said at the time it sounded and i'm worried about what that means to the film will it come across and for me it it kind of did come across mm-hmm. he's a, like he's doing it in spite of the aliens well yeah. the really Rather weird thing them. was up and you know really had started talking about a sequel to prometheus right after prometheus uh came out and as as late as 2015 he was saying he didn't want any aliens in the film uh neil bloomkamp posts some art online it goes viral fox has a meeting with him green lights the project and suddenly um, that stalls. Ridley wants to make an, an alien prequel now with aliens in it, right? And not not any time until word of this Bloom Camp project is out. And now, um, then the film gets put on hold indefinitely. This comes out, and around the time this comes out, Scott's saying, well, they only had a 10-page treatment. This wasn't going to go anywhere. And it seems like he's trying to undermine this project. 
Um, because he previous says, he said he'd read it. He said that he'd seen yeah. the first draft, and, and he James, said it was decent. And James Cameron has said he read it, and Sigourney Weaver has said she read it. So there's yes. some confusing, conflicting information here. And I don't know. And it just feels like all you're doing is putting Neil Bloomkamp's Alien Project to legendary status now. If you're showing that you're undermining it to make a very divisive film among fans, you're just going to make this end up looking like the greatest sci-fi that was never made, regardless of whether or not it would have been any good. Little tangent there. but I was going to say, I'm not sure how much I subscribe to the whole Ridley um, politic gaming to get his film out. You know, I don't really know where I'm going to go with this. I just... <laughs> I just... I feel like it's a lot of people looking to sort of have a scapegoat for it. And I think if anybody, I think it would have been Fox not wanting to risk two alien films in one go. I do. I, I think you're right. Yeah. I think they would have. Um, I think they said, well, we're making one alien movie and Scott has more standing with the studio. So uh. there you go. Which is a and shame. I think that was a mistake because they could have combined the marketing for both and yeah. basically give them a, a less of a budget and they could have rolled them into both marketing wise and i know that once that hit the you know the, the news was that they were going to be blomkamp and ridley scott's going to do the prequel a lot of fans they weren't going to go oh i might feel overwhelmed they were saying oh fuck yes we're going to have a year the 2017 is going to be the year of the alien and i think ridley scott he said that he thought that they, his quote was, he thought they'd be shooting themselves in their big toe for that. But he also said he kept that to himself. He didn't say that to Fox. Whether someone from Fox overheard him speaking to someone else, I don't know. But I agree. I don't want to blame Ridley for the lung cap thing not going anywhere. But we do know there was at least one first draft of the script. And it does feel coincidental that it was put on hold and now along with ridley now also saying i am literally saying i'm not gonna let this go i'm gonna keep doing these until i die that feels a little bit mm, is there politics involved so yeah i can see both sides but I, it's all hearsay at the moment until we get someone saying definitively what actually happened and i agree recently- i think they could have done both that that's i think that could have been like if people it was like with um, like Colonial Marines and Isolation and that. And we said, oh, there's going to be all these games coming out at the same time. And people were very disappointed with Colonial Marines. Then Isolation came out and they thought, oh, yeah, well, even if I don't like this, I love this. And that kind of like paid off in a way. Yeah. Don't, don't you think that could also have the same sort of issue that those games did? I mean, Colonial Marines was, didn't it have some records for pre-ordered games or some bollocks like that? But then it comes out, it's an absolute shitstorm of a game. It's awful. Everybody's disappointed. Mm. And then we get Isolation, and it's a fucking awesome game. Fans love it. Uh, the critics love it. But as far as Sega's concerned, it underperformed. And yes, I can see that it would be a fight in Clone and Marines of Stigma. And now we've got Covenant, and it's... A... I don't like speaking in absolutes, because... As we no. were saying, as we were saying off the air, you know, um, the quiet um, general reaction seems to be positive, whereas the vocal reaction yeah. is very much in the negative, which is pretty, you know, pretty par for the course. But if we get this film that um, seems deci- uh, divisive, 
it is a fact underperforming in terms of sales. And then you get Blomkamp's film, which again comes with its own um, divisive sort of um, elements, you know, the retcon. Is yeah. it then going to be fighting Covenant's, um, you know, um, negative reaction and performing poorly based solely on that rather than its own merits? I can kind of see the logic in Fox's decision not to bankroll the two. But, yeah, but that would be assuming they it looked because the way Fox was really pushing this, it looked like Fox was gearing up with the assumption that um, Covenant would be a. Uh, certainly a bigger success than prometheus they seem to be counting on the fact that people would love coven just because it had aliens in it uh, look, fox's own predictions for that film were under covenants you know um, and even under the um, the critical predictions for the film i think it was estimated to be about 35 to 40 million for its domestic opening weekend by the analysts and fox was guessing about 30 whereas prometheus came in with 50? 50 million for well, something domestic Pro- Prometheus always had also had the benefit of being on more IMAX screens, a lot more, I think, than Covenant, and it was in 3D on those IMAX yes. screens. It was shot in 3D, which was weird because I also remember Scott saying around the time, "I'll never make another movie that's not in 3D." Yeah, I was expect- so, I was actually looking for a showing that was in 3D, and I was like, "Oh, really?" Because some whether someone likes 3D or not. The Prometheus landscapes and stuff, those sweeping vistas, they look beautiful. They look stunning in 3D. Yeah. Really Especially, and I think some of Covenant's landscapes and stuff would have looked great in 3D. Especially when a movie is shot with 3D cameras, it really shows. Um, yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of 3D myself, but when you see certain movies in IMAX 3D that have been shot in 3D and made with that intention, like Avatar, like... Um, prometheus and like um resident evil i know i'm bringing this up sorry resident evil afterlife (laughs) which is my personal favorite of those films and yes i i didn't like the most recent one but um i get guilty pleasure from the rest and i thought the fourth one was really well done and i think it was the second one to use the james cavern's um avatar 3d camera system and yeah, the movie might have been you know fun trash, but it was it looked incredible on IMAX 3D. It's beautiful trash. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, um, I, I managed to catch a showing of um, of Covenant in 3D, uh, not 3D. Silly one, could that be lying? What? In in IMAX. Yeah. <laughs> I, I caught a showing of it in IMAX. I mean, I don't think it's in many IMAX theaters in the states, but over here. It's in pretty much every... Well, it was. It's off now. It was in pretty much every IMAX screen um, in the country, in the UK. And um, my dad and Chevy, who comes on the podcast every now and again, we all went to watch it in IMAX. And it looked fucking gorgeous, regardless of um, you know 3D or not. That film made me want to go and watch the um, you know the other tentpole, tentpole films in IMAX. And I've never really cared for it. Yeah, I saw Covenant in IMAX as well. Um, when Prometheus came out, it was on every IMAX screen in my state, and Covenant was only on one, and I had to wait until the week of before they announced which theater it was. So they didn't push the IMAX angle as hard with Covenant as they did with Prometheus. I don't know if that was because Guardians of the Galaxy was still taking up all those IMAX screens or what, but... At least on your side of the pond, it was everywhere over here. It's a... Last week was um, last cinema week. Mm. Sorry, it was um, the last week that it was in in IMAX screens. So it was over here for nearly a good three weeks in IMAX. I assume uh, pirates all have pushed it out by now. 
Well, regardless of, you know, IMAX, that I, hand on heart, I've never actually been to an IMAX screening of anything because there's no nothing like that near to me. But um, the there has been recent news that there's been a massive drop off in, was it close to 80 percent? Yeah. It was uh, a drop of, I think, 84% for Friday, but for the entire weekend, it's been a drop of 71%, which is yeah, pretty that's bad. that's huge. That, that is, I mean, me speak as I said, I, I did find it entertaining. There, the film definitely have merits. Um, I don't hate it. Uh, there are certainly parts where I feel underwhelmed and, you know, the end direction it takes, although not definitive where ridley scott clearly wants it to take it in the next few stories i don't like at all but um you know even if you you feel "Ah, it's okay there's nothing but i mean that doesn't account that is a huge drop off in ticket sales i know it's you know r-rated it's not like a date film but you wouldn't expect that you could you expect it to like you know phase out but not that is a huge that is very surprising to see especially a big as you say like a big tent pole film but fox are clearly you know they're hyping through you know they you're seeing interviews and stuff just come on through tv shows and all the rest of it you see on like sky cinema and they bring their little five ten minute long featurettes and that they are really pushing hard so people i would expect people to just go out and see it out of curiosity and i'm still seeing a lot of that being the fan reaction people who haven't seen it yet they'll go oh, i went to see it the other day and either say oh i loved it or or whatever it's not like but this is like someone just clicked their fingers and people just go no not bothering to see that and you have to think that some of the negative word of mouth and reviews they must be playing a part in that i think there's a mass particularly in the states i'm picking on your ridgetop i'm sorry (laughs) from what i've seen on social media and on the forums you know, it had a strong opening. We loved it. Well, we loved it. We we enjoyed it well enough in Europe. Um, you know, myself, um, you, of course, Cinemorphin and Omega, we're all European. We liked mm. it well enough. And then it comes out in the, you know, it had a reasonable opening over here as well. And it comes out in the States and it's just massive negative word of mouth from pretty much most of the people that seem to have seen it yeah. over there. All we want is fucking pulse rifles and aliens over here, man. And we're happy. <laughs> but it's it's funny because it that's, that's kind of what happened with Alien 3 and Resurrection as well. You know, um, it performed better mm. internationally than it did um, domestically for the US. So that kind of tickled me. But in terms of in terms of its actual performance, I don't feel like it deserved to do as poorly as it seems to be. But I kind of... I kind of feel guilty in saying that I feel relieved that we might not necessarily get a sequel with the way it seems to be going. I don't feel guilty at all saying that. Yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> the thing is, I, I really enjoyed it up until the alien gets involved in the film. As a Prometheus film, say, as a Prometheus feeling film, sorry, you know, because while it doesn't, well, the only, you know, sort of narrative elements it picks up is David. You know, it still sort of has those sort of Prometheus themes except it's very focused on, you know, this creationalism theme. As a Prometheus film, as a David film, I really enjoyed it. You know, I think it fixed a lot of the issues that um, we had with Prometheus in terms of the characters. Yes, Oren makes a stupid decision. 
Um, but, you know, in general, they're more likable. The actors are better. You know, we've got this overlapping, you know, chatter-like in Alien. Uh, the aesthetics, yes, it's still futuristically, but it's a bit more in the grubby lines. And then mm. the Alien gets involved, and that's when the film took a downturn for me. So on the one hand, you know, I feel a bit disappointed that it's performing so poorly because I enjoyed the first half of it so much. But on the other hand, as being an Alien fan, and this is where most of my problems with the film came from, it was from being an Alien fan. I sort of feel guiltily relieved that Ridley might not get to go in his direction and, you know, we might get to avoid David being in the space jockey chair in in Alien. (laughs) Well, there's a certain... I mean, this film has Alien in the title, and there's a certain expectation with that. I feel like the marketing for this movie was pretty dishonest, and it kind of reminded me of of the marketing for Godzilla, the the American, the second American one, the Gareth Edwards movie. Uh, all we saw in the trailers was Brian Cranston and Godzilla, but the movie had probably <laughs> the least of those two elements than anything else in the movie. Yeah. And the majority of what we saw in the trailers for Alien Covenant were Catherine Watterson and the Alien. And those things were not focused on nearly hev- heavily enough. David and Walter were the ones that were focused on the most in this movie. So this did not feel like an Alien movie to me. This felt like a Ridley Scott pseudo-sequel to Prometheus with the Alien shoehorned in. And as disappointed as I was with Prometheus, I would have preferred a straight-up sequel to that. I would have preferred to get a few answers to the question that asked there, those that that film asked. Um, I, I Like you were saying, I don't think Fox was willing to, to take the risk. And to kind of bring it back to the Bloomkamp uh, conversation here a bit, I think that film would have had some serious star power with... Uh, Hicks and Ripley coming back to the screen and maybe that that moment that perfect storm has passed unfortunately um, because of Covenant which it almost makes me like it even less just thinking about that Um, I know that's not a fair criticism for Covenant but I think a lot of fans are going to feel this way Um, and like you were saying Xenomorphine um, Neil Bloomkamp was was checking out Alien Isolation and he liked the very retro and analog aesthetic of that game and he wanted to incorporate some of that into his project. And even though I really loved his film Elysium, he was very open to the criticism of that movie, and he admitted his mistakes there. And I think that that's very strong in a director, to, to be able to look at what people say about your film, whereas Ridley says he doesn't read the reviews. Yeah, um, that is the big difference. He's far less open to criticism, I, I believe. And again, that's just my personal speculation. But well, it's that he's not one of them is showing he's acknowledging flaws, and he's tr- deliberately. Tr- he, I get the sense Blomkamp actually enjoys learning from his mistakes, whereas Ridley Scott did have this thing where he did say in that interview, as you say, he deliberately avoids any criticism because it's. It seemed to be implying he it makes him feel you know gutted if someone doesn't like something. But Blomkamp, did, I don't know if you meant to pronounce it Blomkamp, Blomkamp, but um, he he's willing to learn from mistakes. A lot of the mistakes that you, the flaws in Prometheus we were hoping might be corrected. There was no sign of them being corrected, and that genuinely seemed. Along with his other recent interview where he's still upholding Prometheus. As apparently a template for how to scare people, it seemed to come from him not having learned. He's not 
looking at what other it's not like people are just like shitting on Prometheus. just people are constructively criticizing saying well this worked well this didn't work well but what you could have done instead or the reasons this didn't work well and how it could have been done but stuff like that he's not even aware of and that's the big problem he, he as far as he's fine concerned prometheus is as it should be he is happy with prometheus he doesn't see any flaws with it Blomkamp, he's aware there are flaws in elysium he's aware of why and he's made the statement he's it's something he's deliberately looking towards reminding himself he's going to avoid making those mistakes so far as he can in all future projects Ridley Scott, as much of a brilliant visionary as he is, he's put himself in an echo chamber. You know what the funny thing is about that whole um, Scott not looking at the critics thing? I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that came after the trashing he got of Blade Runner. Mm, if I, if I remember been. that, if I remember that story rightly. But that was just one review, like the one review that was really hard on it. But he talked and, about it really got on me because I was he, he claimed the critic um, had to go at him even having a beard or something. That was the one that really stuck in his mind. But there, I'm sure there were, you know, there were other reviews that lauded it for various reasons, too. And that's a common defense I've seen of both Covenant and Prometheus. They they go back to Ridley's older films and they say, you know, Alien wasn't too well reviewed when it came out and neither was Blade Runner. So maybe these are films that are just ahead of their time. <laughs> but uh, I don't think so. I I don't think Prometheus and Covenant will be remembered like his earlier films will. Just to steer a little back towards the uh, non-negative, um, I did want to bring up some... Hmm. Uh, you know, it feels like we've been trashing on it. You know how I hate to do this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to bring up some stuff I did actually quite like about where he uh, took the narrative of, of Covenant. And that is that I actually really like that the film started straight off on Disaster. Yeah, the casting of uh, Franco as the uh, five-second captain seemed a bit weird, but I, th- I thought from a, um, a narrative point of view, you know, it was great to not have a lot of preamble and just throw them straight in it. Uh, how did you guys feel about that sort of uh, very abrupt sort of opening? You know, I think I think it worked and it didn't. Uh, it reminded me of another film called uh, Pitch Black. I'm sure you guys have seen it. Of course. Yeah. Um, and that movie started out with uh, them in cryosleep and a space disaster. But that had a very long, intense, drawn-out scene afterwards where you almost it was almost a scene of character development. It was so long, that crash scene. Um, for this, I don't think it worked quite as well as it did in Pitch Black. And it's, there was a, a cut scene where it was Daniels and James Franco's character, Branson, and they were in their apartment kind of planning their, you know, they were about to go on this colonization journey. And I think that would have really helped because we saw so little of James Franco in the movie. Um, I think that would have added just the little bit of character development needed and it would have made his death more impactful. So I kind of wish they had kept that in there, just like I, I kind of wish they had kept the um, Wayland flashback scene with Prometheus. Uh, I think it would have helped, but it, it was an interesting opening for the characters to have them just thrust into this uh, disaster with the, the stellar flare. What about you, Omega Morph? How did you feel about the opening? I loved the opening because James Franco died and we see his child corpse. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the most amazing moment I had in 2007 in a theater because, oh 
god, that's great. Not only do we see him die, we see him shout. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's poetic. It's absolutely perfect. And upon seeing that, I was considering giving the movie 11 out of 10 just because of that. <laughs> Omega Mark's but, not a James yeah, Franco fan. Yeah, no, not that much. But <laughs> joking aside. I think he's I on think... the fence. <laughs> <laughs> on the fence, yeah. And uh, joking aside, I think it was a nice break from the usual, you know, alien kind of opening where, you know, it just seems kind of slow. You know, m- most alien films have this kind of slow burn um, be- with the beginning, except for Alien 3, which begins with the, you know, disaster. And in fact, I think, you know, there are some parallels. Oh, with, definitely. Um, Alien Tree more than the opening because we also have Damn. the deaths of the mm, previous film's protagonist, but that's for later on. Um, and I really like that actually. I just thought that you know it was a just a little bit too uh, coincidental. I mean, the beginning of the film is just this pile of coincidences, just you know one going after the other and just felt weird but as passing goes i actually enjoyed that cinemorphim what's your take on it well i mean it, it's um i think it's fair to i think it actually opens out on the um david thing doesn't it with wayland yeah yeah as, as um, the prologue, yeah I guess. um yeah um in terms of what happens in space with the disaster um I mean, look back at Alien. Yeah, Alien, some of the... Some people say that the pacing is perfect. I'm one of those who feels the pacing is a little too long in Alien. But you have that part where, you know, the computers wake up, the crew wakes up. It's that whole thing before they get to the signal. It's used to familiarise ourselves a little with the characters. I think that's what was missing in this here we kind of just jump in at the deep end not immediately not like alien 3 did but you you know you kind of like do disasters hit they're going to deal with the aftermath blah 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 the problem with that is that with alien 3 you know disaster happens ripley and co they get ejected onto the planet that drives the story here there was no point to it really it was like a disaster happened the captain died off. Okay, why even cast the captain? They could have just had Orem there from the beginning, really. There was no need for that. For the the guy receives a signal in his space helmet because he's out on the the mast. Why didn't they just have the ship receive the signal? There's yeah. no story reason. That's my. I could see why they did it because they thought, well, nothing's going to happen for a little while. Let, let's just have a little action sequences so that people get some adrenaline going. And they and we're going to make it look like, you know, an emotional drama because Daniels has to mourn the loss of this guy. The problem is the audience doesn't know who the fuck he is. The audience doesn't care. Daniels cares. We don't maybe care. They, maybe they thought it would have been too much like Alien if they just wake them up because of some Oh, yeah, signal. I'm sure. Yeah. And they wanted to break it up. They wanted to do something to differentiate it. But the problem is it doesn't drive the story. There's no narrative reason for it. I wish they'd have done something. I think it works as an action scene, but it doesn't work as a story structure. If they hadn't have um, 
neutrino burst. What a stupid thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it built Doctor Who. Yeah. If they hadn't suffered from random spatial anomaly, yes, that results in the death of Branson. Yes, we might not know who the character is. We might not give a shit. But it's sort of, it's very much sort of character motivation as to why they want to go to paradise instead of origai 6 they do not want to get back in cryo i think that that was a, a weak explanation though it might be weak but it serves it serves the purpose first of all why would why would the cryo sleep uh, chamber burst into flames like it, it, there's no emergency release or anything like you see the colonist cryo pods in the back hanging which was also weird that they could just sway freely like mm. They yeah. were hanging, and some of them fell down, and the lids were just popped open, and they have this big tool, and they can't get that open. And, I mean, I'm no expert on how fire works, but would fire really ignite in a small space that quickly? Like, there wouldn't be any, any fail-safes built well, in? Well, it might have been that it was filled with excess oxygen or something. I, I don't know. It's just, I... They said, what was it? It was... They were already on the... It's not like the trip was going to take particularly longer. It was still going to take the same amount of time, pretty much. They didn't want to have more of a rotation in the, the cropods, but, but all of that could have been done away. We still don't know why they didn't detect, because they said, where's this signal coming from? Oh, it's coming from this planet. Why didn't it? Why weren't we one of our scans? This didn't show up. It was like, a you know, a... a <laughs> it goes back to Star Wars when all the planets are mysteriously missing off the map. That, that is a big plot hole. Why wasn't this planet there when they were doing all these um, research scans? That isn't dealt with in the film, aside from well, it just... Daniel's asked that in the movie. I'm surprised I haven't said this as of yet, but Alan Dean Foxter fixes that in the novel. He does fix it. Okay. <laughs> and basically, for I'm not an expert in you know astronomy, but I have some basic understanding of it. And um, Foster basically puts across all these sort of astronomy-related reasons as to why they wouldn't have detected okay. the signal. So, you know, um, anomalies in front of it, you know, um, things like uh, nebula and stuff like that or whatever, uh, where the signals are getting drowned out. And obviously, the signal's piss poor when these guys receive it when they're only a couple of weeks away anyway. But it's not just the signal. She says that that world... Yeah, hang on, hang on. I'm still getting there. I'm still getting there. Um, So in real astronomy, um, as it stands at the minute, planets are detected more often than not by their orbits around the stars. So we pick up a dimming in the sunlight. Yeah. Minuscule dimming. And so another thing that Foster puts across is that when they're doing this research, they're scanning, the planet is on the other side of the sun, the host sun. So very simple real-life scientific reason as to why it would not be detected. It's stuff like that. You know, I've, I don't think that that is a massive plot hole when you apply that kind it's of thing It's not massive, no, but it just felt... That whole sequence, it... Like, the the sequence, it, it played out okay. It's massively but coincidental, it felt, it, I think. Yeah, it felt superfluous. It's like it had a guy receive the signal. Why? It could have just had the ship receive it at the end of the day then again that sequence is probably no because they need to go out there to fix it's look i could sit here and I (laughs) i could tell you why it all needs to happen but at the end of the day yes it is because it is a coincidental by the numbers film which is a bit of a downside to it you know it's like i was saying with some of the character motivation i can understand why the stuff happened 
um, within the, the mm. logic of the narrative. But at the end of the day, when we look at it from the outside, it is a by-the-numbers, tropey, coincidental narrative to get it all working. And mm. yeah, that sucks. Now, us. after this scene, uh, we have a little crew meeting and the the new captain Orm assumes command and he kind of gives a a speech to them they want to do a, a funeral or service and he says there's no time um you can tell he's he doesn't have too much self-confidence about his new position and he thinks because of his religious faith that no one trusts him the company didn't trust him which i find a little interesting as well considering the ship is named covenant you know and <laughs> wayland was well, you know what? Um, that, didn't think of that. <laughs> that is apparently nothing to do with the religious connotations. Yeah, but it is a little ironic, isn't it? Oh, well, <laughs> it, it was more in in Ridley's head. It was to do with early colonization of America, mm. and um, he, when he says the term covenant, he means it in more of a literal agreement kind of sense, rather than any sort of religious mm. um, religious significance. So, in his head, it's a covenant because these guys signed an agreement. They signed a covenant part in a covenant mm. however you would phrase that grammatically i'm not sure mm. to go and start this new life and that's why the ship uh was called that i guess that makes sense um but following that we get a few scenes that i really enjoyed um where they repair the 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 energy charging solar sails of the ship and you have this big spacewalk scene you get some really good views of the covenant in space and uh the characters are in these mobius influenced spacesuits they're very very great suits and we also have a very good nod to alien where they jettison uh branson's character who's all wrapped up out of the airlock and it's it harkens right back to kane from the original (laughs) film and they, there's a good moment with Walter where they're all pouring drinks and they yes. offer Walter a drink and he says, when in Rome, and I, I really like that moment. Mm. Well, just before, just before we go on, I will say, I quite, this is a part where I like the film. Um, that stuff where Oram, Crudup's character, and he does have this slight hang-up about, you know, his religious beliefs. And, you know, there was that in it was a glimmer of intriguing potential character development where he feels he's got to prove himself, you know, two, three times more than anyone else. Cause he feels everyone else has certain um, views of him. And he says, uh, I don't want to do it like that. I want to be, you know, down the road practice. I'm doing this for practical reasons. I, I want to, he's, he's like, he's, overcompensating to try and make people not view him as just the religious guy and i actually thought that was an interesting aspect to his character it again part of where covenant kind of disappoints me is that they didn't build upon that i don't know how they could have but i was actually thought thinking oh that's interesting i, I want to find go more down this route of exploring what this this character who's got this dichotomy of this, the religious stuff and the um, added pressure to bear and that is on him, but it doesn't quite ex- explore it. So I was a little, uh, it was like the film gave me a little hook of this is interesting, and then it like snatches away and it doesn't bother to explore it anymore. So I would have liked the film to actually explore more of that with his character. I don't think you, throughout the film, I don't think we get enough character development no. um, 
However, I do like that we get a better feel for the character dynamics throughout the film. You know, we might not get to see them change, but I think compared to Prometheus, you know, everybody was a lot more likable. Um, there's a lot more of um, relatable dynamics between them all, I thought. Yeah. I felt they were much more relatable characters on the whole compared to the Prometheus characters. Well, I think it was a double-edged sword. Prometheus did have better character development, but this film had more human characters and it had more likable characters that mm. acted more like, you know, people would act in relatable ways. Yes. Uh, with the exception of, of the ridiculous decision-making uh, actions they do later. But um, as far as just how they are being as people, uh, they were much more likable than the characters we yeah. had in Prometheus, I thought. You didn't get anyone going up to a dangerous creature and going, oh, could she, could she, could There's nothing like that in this. Uh, oh, well, he does poke the little spore. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and again, Alan Dean Fox, Foster fixes that. In the novel, um, he, he doesn't see them. They're basically that microscopic. Oh. And another thing, you know, when Ledward gets infected... Um, there's more of them at the time, so he has a bit of a glimpse. But Walter, and I'm sure David, uh, David, um, and I'm sure Ridgetop will really enjoy this. Before they set out uh, onto the surface, Walter goes out on his own, and he does, um, you know, his science scans, and he comes back and he says, "There's fuck all here of danger to anybody. We're all fine." So when Ledward sees uh, sees the cre- uh, sees the moats, I think they called them behind the screens. You know, the little black goo flecks or yeah. whatever. He specifically remembers uh, Walter saying that nothing there can harm them. So he's just like, eh. Yeah. And another thing, that their scans of the planet didn't pick up this massive alien city. I mean, I know the, the planet had <laughs> storms on it, but... That's that's another thing. The, the novel seems to imply that the storms are some form of shielding, I guess, where they would like... That's another reason the um, Shaw's signal doesn't make it very far. It's It's... Considered I'd have thought the shuttle would though, because the shuttle goes in the atmosphere and it's like you know, within walking distance. So I would have thought the shuttle would. Have well, they find they, they do. They, well, no, not necessarily the city, but if it's not giving off any energy signatures, then... it doesn't need to. Well, they didn't do any flyover like in Prometheus. You know, they didn't want to. Well, again, they don't need to. If you've got a radar that goes, you know, hundred, two hundred, five hundred, whatever it is, kilometer. I mean, that's just average for today's technology. You'd think, it's, especially for a terraforming mission. I bet that wouldn't be looking for existing sort of stuff, would it? I mean, and how often do we find previously unknown things and we have access to radar and everything and all that bollocks? I, don't, I, I honestly don't... I don't think that kind of stuff is that... It's not a massive plot hole, but it's like when it was just pointed out a few moments ago, they don't realise there's a big massive city. It just does make you kind of like go, yeah. Well, it yeah, is nestled nestle. <laughs> between a fucking valley. That that stuff to me is more in the nitpick realms than the, um, you know, we can sit and rip apart a film. Mm. Whereas I do think the biohazard suits, the lack of them, that is a plot hole. Because I, I don't care yeah. if he says it's clear. I mean, I know in the book it's meant to... It always just adapting a screenplay. It's meant to say, well, the, the virus was dormant until it wouldn't matter if it's dormant or not. I mean, you just can't do. It's not feasible to scan entire planet and going. Well, is there something in in the soil, in the water, in the? Ca-? You're not going to be able to do that with just a push button scan. You're going to need 
some kind of protection on you because even if you like say you um they're going out on foot what if one of them twists their ankle and they they um you know they get hurt by like a, a sharp bit of wood or a stone or something how do they know what that how they whether it's going to get infected from something that was smeared on the stone you don't know you're going to need protective gear yeah and they it and was it, for, for a thing they had prepared for years for a terraforming mission you'd think that if anyone would have them they they would be there. and to me as a someone who yeah i'm not published but i'm trying to be as a writer i would think to myself okay let's give them biohazard suits let's think of a more interesting way to get them infected even though they're wearing suits i mean the first alien film kane had a spacesuit he's still got infected there are ways and means of doing it but it's like Ridley Scott has a vendetta against biohazard suits. Well, it this just was seems so common sense. This was just one of the lessons that was not learned from Prometheus. In almost yes. every critical review of Prometheus, people are like, "Why would they take their helmets off?" And this, this even is worse, really, because it's an entirely foreign ecosystem on an alien planet that they know nothing about. And for the very first walk around, there is not a single safeguard in place. And what do you know? They get effective. They get infected almost instantly. And, um, and also, they know. They can see there are tons of trees. They don't know how poisonous the plant life is. I mean, that's that's regardless of whether there's fungal or animal thing. There are some really deadly plants out in like the Amazon and stuff. You do not want to even go near, much less touch. So even if they thought there were no, you know, there's no wildlife, they should have said, well, clearly there's vegetation. We don't know how lethal it is. We don't know what's living off the vegetation. There could be some kind of pathogen doing that. I think, yes, it works within the film, but for those who had a problem with it in Prometheus, it just felt like a cringeworthy moment. It just does feel like you're going, why hasn't Ridley Scott learned? And of course, we now know it's because he doesn't watch, you know, reviews, but it should have just been common sense. Like, yay, now that like the shuttle doesn't have an airlock, but they're not even wearing suits. They should have had some kind of protective gear. I think, actually, you know, besides the fact that this is very silly, as a, you know, l looking at the film, you feel like it's silly. But I think it was a deliberate choice to um, kind of harken back to those um, sci-fi sci films of old. Like, they had this wacky science elements going on, you know, like those films of the 50s where they don't use gloves they don't use, you know, the adequate um, protective gear. And I think that was a deliberate choice to go back to those kind of films or, you know, those pulp, you know, very pulpy horror films like those Hammer films. Perhaps that was the intention. It might yeah. have been, but I think it was to the detriment of the film. I think it would have yeah, worked better I do if agree. they I do agree. had... I'm not justifying yeah. it. I'm just. I trying think if to they'd have had the protective gear, for that. and the story found a way around the protective gear to impregnate them or infect them somehow, regardless. Like even if it was just something shooting some kind of poison dart into their air system, and they don't know, but they're actually breathing the stuff. There are all manner of ways. You can even do something as basic as happened to Kane. 
And there are ways to make so you realize that the characters are undertaking the precautions professionals would, and yet they're in the shit regardless. And that's, I think that would make it, would have increased the tension because you think they're taking all these precautions, they are professionals, but it's happening no matter what. What do you guys feel about the um, the dropship sequence? What, in terms of? Just how did you like it? I Personally, I thought it was a little reminiscent of Alien. Or, sorry, Aliens. Um, yeah, it was meant to with, be. Uh, well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far with how Scott feels about Aliens, but the um, just the look and feel of it with them going through the storm and all that and the restraints they had, it reminded me of Aliens quite a bit actually uh, to think of it i I don't know how scott feels about aliens um he apparently likes it i think you you wouldn't think he'd seen any of them from the way he talks about them (laughs) i I don't i don't mean that as a a piss take or anything but Hmm. he he recently did a interview i say recently it was probably uh, recorded ages ago empire recently released an interview with, um, with ridley scott at the end of the interview he's sort of asked about the Various bits and bobs. Um, he's asked about the Queen in Aliens and how that will yeah. factor into his films and completely sort of rambles away from it. He dodges that question, yeah. Yeah. And then there's... I can't remember the exact context of it later on, but they're talking about the effects. The CGI. Yeah. And he's going on about how Aliens was using CGI. Aliens was yeah. using CGI. 1986. And then talking about, <laughs> you know... He's going on he about said the Alien three, and, 3 being uh, yeah. all CG. And he says Resurrection's literally all th- CG. He, he said that Alien 3, which, I mean, a lot of people do. There is this myth out there that because the compositing was bad, people believe that Alien 3 had um, CGI. But he thinks Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection were completely CGI. And but just before that, he said, "Well, you got the digital. It was creeping in in Aliens. They were using digital effects in Aliens." And you think, "No, that was back when it was like the Last Starfighter and Tron. That was about the extent of CGI." <laughs> and once you realise that, that's when you start to thinking, "Is that why he went so full on for almost a vast majority of the creature shots in this are CGI?" That could have been why he felt comfortable going down that road because he was under the impression, well, all the other ones did it. But, you know, he he should have. It's like you said, you do have to wonder how long ago did he watch the others? You know, he rewatched his original in anticipation for this. He told his cast to watch that. But how long ago? Because if you watch Aliens, if you watch Resurrection, Alien 3, it's clear there are a hell of a lot of practically you can't mistake them for cgi especially cgi of that vintage you can't do it so it, as, as you say it does make you wonder when the hell was the last time he actually bothered to watch them and yet there are moments in this one where there are callbacks to not just aliens but certainly to alien 3 i felt there was a lot of like the way that glass smashed and doors closed that felt very alien 3 to me there's, I I think that a lot of the sort of other films references aliens, like you say, in the dropship does feel very aliens, and even the little bit of dialogue towards Rosie, she, where they're like, is this your first mm. time? Blah blah blah. Um, yeah, yeah. The neomorphs are basically um, John Spates's proto aliens with uh, William Gibson's 
new beasts the way the film starts off is very alien 3 the way the film ends is very alien 3 mm. the whole tone of the film i think is very alien 3 and can be yeah and even some of the music you know not to jump too far ahead of of the discussions but you know the score is um you know very obviously goldsmith uh, and it also has shadows of yes. um uh, golden thor yeah the most noticeable uh moment of that was um when david knifed walter in the neck and it had this very alien three kind of musical tone i i think a lot of the other series references are coming from other places you know the writer the musician i was just gonna say that yeah the problem i had again i keep coming back to my problem being the alien stuff and it's because i don't think the film i don't think covenant is very um reverential towards the other films in the series outside of you know even even scott's even alien i mean i i th- said in my review it felt like he'd forgot to go back and watch it in how he portrayed the aliens you know because of this whole quickened life cycle there's no there's no reverence to his the other films scott doesn't seem to care the thing well, is someone that... did make a, a comment i forget it was a youtube or a facebook page, and somebody did make and it, i i kind of like went oh yeah because they they said that moment when you realize the avp films were closer to the law than covenant and there is there, there is something to be said for that well and that's a big problem too is as bad as the avp films were they didn't step on the toes of the other films. Nothing in them contradicted anything that had come before. And although in the second AVP film they were depicted as weaker, in this film the very idea of the alien was depicted as, as weaker, I thought, which was yeah. worse. And that's that's the thing. It's, it's a double-edged sword with big franchise movies. You have to make something that's different and has its own identity and stands out. But at the same time, you can't step on the toes of the other creators. And I think Ridley just doesn't concern himself with that at all uh, it makes you wonder okay how's the queen alien gonna fit into all this i don't think it will i think like the avp films is, is at least for me anyway these prequels should be taken as their own continuity yeah and i would honestly like that i think the the films um you know the entire continuity of of all three franchises is so convoluted at this point that you might as well just make it like the comics have people have different interpretations have have another prequel come out with different space jockeys you know far in the future or whatever i just think that it that would really serve the franchise and that's what bloomkamp was saying i i I know i keep bringing it back to bloomkamp here but he said he didn't want to step on the toes of alien 3 or alien resurrection even though Mm. you know people say well you would have retconned alien 3 and resurrection no it just creates an alternate idea of where he wanted to go well in fairness that he will he said previous to meeting weaver he was going to take account of alien but it was weaver who convinced him to change it to do the record how he was going to retcon it we still don't know but it was actually see it that's not him that's all on sigourney weaver so people out there who want to blame him for that blame sigourney Weaver, and she's the one person in the franchise who has defended alien 3 to the absolute hilt throughout her whole entire career she still does but she was the one responsible for that what do you think of that, about that, Omega Moth? About the um, direction of these prequels, you mean? Yeah, and then what Ridgetop was saying, you know, with the whole uh, separate sort of... I essentially agree with Ridgetop in the, in the sense that I think, especially in this film, there is 
a lot of merit in certain ideas, especially, and I think we're going to um, discuss that for a while, the creation aspect of the alien. You know, having the alien as um, the expression, the manifestation of um, David's repressed, insane um, sexuality or what he thinks is sexuality. And that, I think, is very interesting, just not for alien, because, you know, when you watch the original film, you just know there's something different about it. There's a different intention and vibe and lore behind it. So I do agree that these films are better off as something on their own and they would benefit as something standing alone because, you know, it's just not fitting. Like, it's showhorning it into something that just very clearly didn't have that intention. I think I would have liked I don't say a thing I, I would have liked Covenant better had it exercised Alien completely from it yeah I agree you know just focused on the Neomorphs and focus on David yeah. you know it gets to the point when the film ends up with three villains and we start to get Spider-Man 3-ish <laughs> and there's simply just not enough runtime to do everything with all these creatures um, and all these villains and if I love David, I, I really do, and I think he's interesting, and I would have happily watched a David in a Neo-Morph film. Yeah. See, I, I think they, they <laughs> ruined his character too, man, because they took a complex, yeah. nuanced character from Prometheus, and they turned him into a mustache twirling villain who Sorry. has... Who, he has daddy issues, and he has one goal in mind. He wants to destroy everything that's not an android. And it just made him into a very one-dimensional character. I think, actually, for me, this movie ruined David. And I I liked Walter a lot more than I liked David. I thought Walter was a, a far better character. And yeah, I'm sure we're supposed to like Walter more than David. But I think he just... he went into tropey villain territory, which is not how he was in Prometheus. He was a nuanced character. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a whole plot point, though, wasn't it, in regards to it being such a massive time and him going loopy. But... I quite like the themes behind his... You know, obviously, we, there's there's a whole chunk of motivation that we don't know about David in between Prometheus and um, Covenant. You know, why... So why, buy the book. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Alan Dean Foster will fix it in September. But no, in terms of the whole um, the sexual frustration thing, you know, all, all the rapey stuff and all the creationalism stuff, I yeah. liked it. I dug it. I thought it was interesting. It was interesting, but it makes you wonder why Ridley Scott just didn't direct Blade Runner 2049. Because it's David he likes, isn't it? It's not... And I, I bet it's... I bet it's... He really enjoys the working relationship with Fassbender as well. And as an audience member, I love seeing Fassbender up there um, doing David, doing Walter. You know, I thought Walter was great as well. But I, I was really taken with this whole repressed, uh, repressed uh, sexuality thing that, that David had going off. Yeah, it's kind of Frankensteiny and whatever, but I do think that we're going down the direction of him being the modern Frankenstein and, the, you know, the modern Prometheus as well, that kind of thing. And I can get behind that. I like it. And I think it, while it may not be great for an alien film, I like that it's sort of expansive of the universe as a yeah. whole. So as a as an alien related spin off, I would have liked it. And if it had dovetailed into Alien a bit more respectively uh, respectfully, sorry, then I wouldn't have minded it. So yeah, uh, what what about you, Xenomorphin? I know you're not particularly a fan of him in Prometheus anyway. I assume it doesn't well, get any better. No. I I think 
I see. Thing is, Fassbender's performance you can't fault. Um, my issues with the um, the material he's got to work with. I think in this the problem in this film specifically with David A. Walter I loved and I love I loved how Fassbender we know he'd gone back to he'd revisited Bishop to learn for his portrait. You can tell that is the kind of AI I would have liked David Ait to be. The problem in David Ait's port um let's say the interpretation of David Ait in Covenant as opposed to Prometheus. Prometheus you can kind of see his motive, even though I'm not a fan of the overly emotive synthetic thing. You can see a lot of what he does comes out of interpreting certain directives and instructions Wayland gives him, so on and so forth. By the time you come to Covenant, it's, the film spends a lot of time reinforcing the fact he's a droid, yet it writes him like he's a human. He's suddenly hating humanity at all. Why? The film doesn't tell us. He's got a moustache a fucking mile long. You can tell that first bit of, almost first bit of dialogue. Oh, how many brave souls have you got on board? Oh, my, my, what can I do with them? You you think to yourself, okay, yeah. me as an audience, I know he's a villain. Those guys in the film, those characters should be at least giving each other a what look <laughs> it's it's very very tropey at that point and it kind of as ridgetop said it what the essence of what they made david a like plausible in prometheus they they turned him into a, a basically a human character like a human brain in a robot body in this one i didn't detect sexual frustration as much i think he's obsessed with creation and i think that scene with him and daniels was meant to foreshadow the thing with ash and ripley i think yes there's a subtext in it but if wayland actually gave david a the capacity for lust as well as hate that's all kind of fucked up in quality assurance of the well, <laughs> i think hicks was right in in the sexual frustration thing because you see some evidence oh. of that when He's embraced his emotions. Uh, there's an interesting scene. And, and some of the most interesting scenes, I thought they were a little excessive, but the, some of the most interesting scenes were the discussions between him and Walter. And there's one in particular where he's out in this, um, it's a literally ripped from a painting, uh, Bachlin's Isle of the Dead, that uh, Giger later adapted in his own style. Um, it's the one with the very tall trees in the garden, and there's the grave of yeah. Elizabeth Shaw there. And he says, uh, I loved her, you know, like you love Daniels. And Walter says, well, that's not possible. And he says, I know better. So you can see that even though in the viral materials for Prometheus where David was like, I don't feel emotions myself, that that wasn't the case. He has embraced his emotions. And Yeah, but that's why I say I felt things like that, they felt more like misplaced emulations of emotions rather than like sexual frustration. You can't take the virals as gospel i mean at the end of the, the, they're ancillary products you know they're just there to sort of draw your interest but when he when he kisses daniels and he says the the, the rape the rape suggestions on overdrive at that point you know yeah, yeah but they are still subtext they're not necessarily literal, he says he says is that how it's done which kind of implies that he he wants to explore 
sexual like he wants to but yeah but again this is where he's being written as a human he's not right. being written as a synthetic why would a synthetic do? there's no point it's like that weird incestuous as fuck kiss he does with walter it's <laughs> why would he like to me a synthetic at that point they wouldn't even necessarily be talking but the, but they would he would realize that's another model of synthetic. What would that other model of synthetic get out of me kissing it? It's just would, that therefore narcissistic. I'm not going man. to kiss. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but that's the kind of narcissism you write as a human character. But that's the point. You don't write David. it for a synthetic. Well, he wants to be a real boy. Yeah. That the whole thing yeah. about David is, you know, he was too human. Forgetting all the bollocks from the Prometheus virals as good as it was, forgetting it. The whole point <laughs> behind David in Covenant is that he wants to be a real boy. He wants his own. He wants his own creations. He wants his own. Yeah, sons and, and daughters. But a lot of it, how it's coming out, it just came out as nonsensical. Including, as I say, he wants to. He now hates humans. Why? I don't know. He just does, and yet he's saying simultaneously, "I loved Elizabeth. She was he was she was the one character he'd spent most of his existence probably with. I would wager she spent more time with him than Wayland did, who he was basically acting than a, as a butler with. She was actually like befriending him. She said he said she was the one person who was compassionate to me what lessons has he learned from that Nothing. that was he actually now wants to hate humanity and destroy humanity when he knows there are a lot of people like elizabeth shaw there he doesn't care he wants to hate them where's the hatred come from we don't know that was honestly one of the strangest parts of the movie for me was and and it really illustrated in that viral i know you can't take you know virals as is fully part of the story but you sh you saw glimpses, and I think that was originally part of the movie, the the crossing sequence. The crossing was yes. This, it's the only piece of viral that was actually conceived f as part of the movie. The rest weren't. Just yeah. an aside there. You see a really good relationship between him and Shaw, and you know she was distrustful of him at the end of Prometheus, but she repairs him and then lets him put her into cryo sleep, and then. You know, without even letting her have the ultimate thing she wanted, he just goes and kills the engineers for what reason? We don't know. Uh, the ship crashes for what reason? We don't know. Um, and then he decides to... <laughs> that, that shouldn't have to be the case, though. You no, shouldn't leave I, it to I the... know. And that means the film's not done its job. Yeah, well, this is what I was saying earlier. It feels like a restart, you know. It's not... It fails, like you were saying in your review, Ristop, it fails as a sequel to Prometheus and it fails as a prequel yeah. to Alien. To me, it felt like a start of something new and they don't want to have to deal with all this backstory. I just thought it was a retread rather than a start of something new. It was everything we had seen in Alien and Prometheus done less effectively than both of those films did it. And uh, to continue on what I was saying, the the weirdest thing of him killing Shaw, but he still has this emotional attachment to her. He has her picture on his desk. Um, he, he created a grave for her. He visits her grave. But he wanted to create monsters so much that he killed her. And I was just like, that's there's a bit of a like, well, why? Why would he kill her? I mean, she was alive for a while. That's what the wheat implied, because he wouldn't need to grow wheat. It could have been for the engineers. That I assume that yeah, was... Yeah, that's um, what I oh, thought. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's true, too. Because he would have just made his own little, you know, hydroponic thing for her maybe so did he just wake her up out of cryo sleep cryo sleep and kill her then or kill her in her cryo sleep pod but he still loves her like 
well, after she thing. saved He's, his life like he he says to daniels i'm gonna do the same thing as i did to her but yet we don't know he killed Shaw. It could have been something the engineers could. It could have been something that happened when Holloway had sex with her. She started mutating because of that, and there was like literally nothing he could do. But when she died, maybe the thing he did was to autopsy her. We don't know he actually killed her, but it, there is a weird, very weird, like schizophrenic thing going on there. Yeah. I definitely agree. It does confuse the audience. It's implied also when he he mixes up the author of. Ozymandias when yeah. Walter asks him he says who wrote Ozymandias and he goes uh, Byron he says no it was Shelley so David's obsessed with creation but he can't get his creators straight and I would have liked that to because we did see in some of the interviews and features and stuff where it was implied Walter had this distrust of David because he's not had maintenance he's not had software updates for so long I would have liked more of that because you didn't really get that i would have liked to, some more dialogue and scenes where you saw walter expressing those concerns it may be in some deleted footage i don't is, know but i would have is. really liked that to have been there yeah there was a scene from one of the test screenings where they're walking into the city and um, walter says something to Orem about david being without maintenance for so long and Orem asks him what's well what, what's the end result of that and uh, Walter goes, well, I guess we're about to find out. Uh, and it's in the novel as well, slightly different Yeah, place, but, but I would have liked to have had more of it because oh, definitely, Walter definitely. would have had a different perspective because he is a machine. Like, I would have found it interesting him maybe worrying about, like, this guy that I've just met. He is basically a mirror of me if I get corrupted. There are all kinds of ways that could have been played around, but even if he just had some dialogue with Daniels, and that's another thing we're meant to have had this impression of a, more of a relationship with him and Daniels, which we didn't really get as much as we should have in the film. I would have liked to have seen more of it come out through though, but there wasn't, it wasn't really something that was touched upon as much as it should. Even without that scene, I think it can be inferred quite easily that, you know, David has been on his own all this time and oh yeah, you, you're going to go batshit crazy. Now think about it from, yeah. You know, humans are going to go crazy. Think about it from the perspective humans of this. Would. A machine might not, because if there's one thing a machine is perfect for, it is doing repetitive tasks over and over again and doesn't get bored. Well, maybe that's. I don't. I don't want to throw in too much, but <laughs> something. Something. I think I... If there's one thing that's not going to get bored, it's a synthetic. A series that takes influence from Alien and Predator, quite liberal uh, influence from Alien and Predator, actually, is the Halo series. And there's an interesting thing in the Halo um, lore about the artificial uh, characters in that, where they have a lifespan of seven years, and then they go back shit. And the reason behind that is because they literally think themselves to insanity. I always found that quite interesting. Their mind's going that much, they're doing that much, they're thinking that much, that it just corrupts them now david has this thing about was it um idle hands of the devil's work so you know mm. he's had 10 years alone no other company his mind's probably going crazy as well and he's doing all this shit to amuse himself regardless of the dialogue being there or not you know regardless of real world real world practicalities of repetitive machines this is science fiction in the end and he is being written somewhat human as we've pointed out before I can completely buy into him going batshit crazy without me having a piece of dialogue from Walter. 
I I thought that was pretty obvious. There's still this basic problem with the story structure of okay, even if you you know you're willing to go with he's got corrupted and whatever over the years, but you still got this missing link of. David A is set up as the villain, unfortunately a very predictable one, because we all thought, ah, it's going to be David A. It, would, it might be interesting if they went on tangent, but they didn't. They went with that. His motivation for doing what he does is not just the obsession with creation, because you can create also, you can create flowers if you want. doesn't matter. But he openly declares he hates humanity. He wants to see humanity destroyed. Whether or not that gets explained in another story, you're left as a viewer with the problem of where did that come from? What was the point of it? And it's completely unexpected. The film just gives you this guy, David A. He now is the guy. He's going to cause all this shit. And you've give, you're have you given that in place of what a lot of people would have gone in for who were fans of Prometheus. Okay, what's going to happen in Covenant? We're going to get all the answers. We're going to get all the... What happens right near the start? The space jockeys, engineers wipes them out we don't get any answers about that we don't get anything they are literally dead their whole homeworld population is dead and you're left with the impression that david eight is almost like part of ridley scott's id where to create a new legacy he has to destroy the old stuff and he wants shiny new toys because he's got bored of the engineers and you think at that point what was the point of turning the space jockey from this giga-esque thing into generic you know bald guys in suits okay let's go with that let's explore them doesn't want to explore them does away with them next thing please and you you you're left with this impression that the the film the series as it's now becoming it's giving you these little glimpses of things where you go okay i might not like it but let's go with let's explore that ridley scott oh you want to go with that no i'm going to give you something else and it's just this rush of he's going to give you new things and not bother and then you're left with something far more superficial it's a robot gone mad for no reasons and he's just going to kill everyone are you and uh... it's that bad are you sure you enjoyed the movie more than I did? <laughs> I found it. No, I found it. Here, here's a point. I, I found one of the best scenes. The highlight of the film was that initial backburster stuff. That whole thing we were given. We were actually given a preview of it. We didn't have to go to see the film. We were actually, it came out online. We all saw that stuff. I saw that on the Alien Day event. I thought that whole sequence was really, really well done. See, it had those little glimpses of Lam- Lambert, and it, it was it came across so you know. I thought this could be something. That stuff was brilliantly done, and yet you have the other stuff. The problems in the film come from the story structure. I think yeah. the problems come from when it tries to cram aliens into it. Mm. You know, it's it, it was you're saying about um, the engineers ball being erased. It feels like a reactionary response to Prometheus not necessarily being as universally liked as they want. So, of course, they act, um, the response is, oh, we need aliens. Let's fucking get rid of Prometheus connections. But why couldn't he have done both? Why couldn't we, there have been engineers? Or maybe they could have gone to the homeworld, found out that the, the engineers had abandoned it. They didn't have to. It was like a big fuck you to the engineer, just as you're going, okay, We'll go with this. Let's see what the what this stuff we've got planned. And it turns out Ridley Scott's like a magician saying, aha, look, on, look over here. I'm going to bring a rabbit out of the hat. And it's not a rabbit. It's like something complete because we are being geared up. The whole of Prometheus, the whole point of it, you're going to the engineers. 
find out what the you have the guy going psycho at the end. Why did he do that? You're never going to find out. Alan Dean Foster will fix it. I'm sure he will, <laughs> but the point is, no, he I'm... had to fix it. The film he's not gonna, failed. He's not going to fix Scott the motivation of the engineers. I am confident. You're not going to find you, out man. anything about that. That's the big thing. It's just you're you're being given one thing. He's throwing away the other. I was entertained, but I wish it hadn't been so superficial in parts. I'm with you. I think it sucks balls that they just dropped all those sort of yes. Prometheus elements. I do. I think it sucked. But because it had such potential. Yes, it did. It's again, it's Fox or the creatives or whoever reacting to the completely wrong things that Prometheus had issues with. You know, there was no need to drop those story elements. There was no need to throw it wholesale out and move away onto this sort of retread, reboot, restart, mm. re-whatever-the-fuck to move into, you know, Alien. I'm with you. I, I I, wish it had have done that, and I wish I didn't have to wait until September to find out what how Alan Dean Foster's <laughs> going to fix it. Um, but it's... There are ways and means of salvaging it, but I just yeah. wish it hadn't taken the direction that it did in this yeah, film there were yeah. there were so much better ways of doing it it just felt like the whole f- purpose of the film you've just seen there are people who loved prometheus there are people who like Prometheus. there, there are people like me who oh, yeah i could take it or leave it but i was interested to see where the space jockey vibe was going to go what are we going to find out about them? And is like he just there's nothing. He just wants. To, it's like he dropped a big nuclear bomb on it, and he he wants to say to all intents and purposes, I'm finished with that. I've grown out of it. I've you know that was my last boyfriend. Mm. This is my new boyfriend. I'm not going to care. I fuck off. I don't care about you, kind of thing. It just <laughs> felt like he's squandering the very potential he spent an entire film building up. It's, it's because he wants to play with David and Fox want an alien film. <laughs> well, they should have... Literally a point in this film. Like we said it before, they should have just done it both ways, you know, let, and they didn't want to take the risk. That was yeah. the problem. And let it's resulted Scott in a bigger explore. failure. Yeah, let, let Scott explore Prometheus and let Neil Bloomkamp give the majority of alien fans what they want. At least that's what I would say. Um, it, it would have made for two much stronger movies, but they tried to mash those together um, and market it incorrectly as what it was not. And it didn't. This was not an alien movie. This was another movie that happened to have an alien in it. It was an alien and, cameo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and and kind of going back to what you were saying, Xenomorphine, about the um, going back to a minute about the the backburster scenes. So they, they get infected by, by the spores. They go back to, to the dropship. And then you have this scene which, I mean, I liked the gore and, and visceral nature of it. But I don't think it, it worked really well because the two characters that were bursted had probably the least character development out of anybody. The reason why Kane's chest bursting sequence was so impactful is his character had been established. And not only that, he was the most likable character on the ship. Um so that made it very, very impactful scene. Whereas these two characters, I don't know who the fuck they are. They haven't been established. So I, I really didn't care what was happening to either of them. 
And when one makes it back to the ship, Ferris locks them in there after getting blood on her face. So she's already infected no matter what, but she wants to maintain a quarantine. And after the burster comes out, her, her friend, who she's left to die anyway, she goes back in the room when she's afraid of containment, slips on the floor after the other character did too. So it was, you know, borderline comedic at this point. <laughs> and yeah. you know, the alien that was just kicked into the wall earlier, this little tiny thing breaks through this bulkhead door window. I, I think it would have worked because it did look too fleshy and fragile to actually break through. I would, if I was doing that scene, I would have had it, you know, bang its head, realize it's not getting through the glass. And then it would have gone up like an air duct or something. And that, that did look a bit yeah. too, yeah. And then Ferris just shoots the tanks and blows up the lantern. It's like she she didn't think to run outside to run for the people that were just like literally coming up to the ship. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, the only thing I really enjoyed about that scene was the visceral nature of the backbursting, which again, that, that has its own problem because there was a lot more suffering involved. I guess they're called blood bursters from, from what it showed in, in the art book, I think back burst as I thought. Well, one, one comes out of the throat. One's come, one comes out of the back. So they're well, called the, the neomorph bursters yeah. or blood bursters, <laughs> I guess, but black bursters was a fan name. I think, I think you're right. The, the production mm. crew seemed to call it uh, blood bursters, but there was a lot more suffering involved. Like you saw them get sick slower over time. There was a lot of convulsions. It wasn't just this immediate thing like it is with the chest burster. So what that does is it makes the xenomorphs a less perfect organism when compared to the neomorphs because the life cycle is so much more efficient with the neomorphs. Yes. And it's just, I don't know, it cheapens the xenomorph. It makes it look like, okay, why does David think the xenomorph is an improvement over the neomorph? I mean, I love the designs. I love the fact that we actually get to see the beluga-headed alien. That was cool, and I think you're right. I mean, as much as I wanted an alien prequel the movie would have been better off serving both the neomorphs and the xenomorphs by only focusing on the neomorphs. And I, I didn't like the whole sporish life cycle, how these things come from these tiny spores and they're microscopic and they grow in moments ready Very to burst. Quick, yeah. yeah. By the way here, nobody gets to make fun of a- AVP for the accelerated life no. cycle. And <laughs> because this movie makes that look slow. Um, not only with the Neomorphs, but with the Xenomorphs as well. Um, and it's inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, like the, the Auron bursts in what feels like maybe 10 minutes. But then again, I suppose you don't know how quickly um, Luke bursts because Mother's offline for like eight hours. But even that, like he had the facehugger on him for five seconds before it was ripped yeah. off. That that was another one of those moments where I was sat there with my fucking head in my hand, just sighing because, you know, Scott forgot to go and watch Alien. It's like every. All my issues with this film come down to how the aliens are portrayed in the film and how they use and everything to do with the aliens in this film is what ruined it for me. Up until that point, it had me. I was happy. I was loving David. I was loving Neomorph. I was loving the characters. And then Scott pisses on Alien. See, it seems like you were lost in the the last third of the film. Yeah. For me, the first third of the film had me. I was lost in the next, Act 2 and Act 3 lost me both of those i was on board for the beginning of the film i think in fairness what we're saying we seem to be saying a lot about like it could have been better if it wasn't the alien in fairness 
when I went to the um, the Alien Day thing in London, and in my it's all in the report we put on the front page, uh, and I spoke to um, Connor O'Sullivan, who's the creature effects supervisor, and wow. he said originally the plan was not to have you know the humanoid alien as we recognise it. The plan was actually to bring to life H.R. Giger's Necronom Four. That creature was going to be as we see the alien acting in the film, ultimately. So it would originally, if they'd have been able to get it done, they, they tried to do it. He didn't like the style of it. Apparently there is a physical sculpt that was fully made up in storage somewhere. So they might go with that for the next film. But that was what the film was going to do. It wasn't going to have the alien as we know it. It was going to have the Necronom 4 alien. So it would have been like the alien but it wouldn't have been as close to the alien design as we know so i think when we say it it feels like it should have just been about neomorphs and things i think originally that was the plan and it was going to be like neomorph 2.0 we'd have seen as the necronom beast but um as it is it got uh, ultimately got replaced with the more humanoid version so i think we are picking on up on something that that was actually the original plan. It's just they they ultimately went in a different direction. And your mention of um, Necronomicon Four um, kind of brings me to one of the things I had the most frustration with the movie about, and that is the complete lack of any Giger aesthetic. Um, yes. which for me was one of the most appealing things about the first two films was the influence of H.R. Giger. Even though he didn't work on Aliens, his influence was still very much present. Uh, it is not in this movie. Uh, we saw a little bit of biomechanical elements of the engineers in Prometheus, how one had the pressure suit that looked biomechanical and it kind of melded yeah. into his body. Uh, this one, they're all dressed in robes, just like they were in the intro of Prometheus, mm. and they live in a giant... Stone yeah. Vatican esque city. Uh, you have <laughs> one uh, Naboo esque. Yeah. yeah. You, like, you like to bring up Naboo <laughs> for that one, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the same. It's the same have, aesthetic. It's very Romanesque. Yeah. You have one giant uh, new ship. Uh, new, some people are calling it the Scorpion ship, I believe. Somewhere else I saw it just it's called It's like it. a docking station. Yeah, it's the Mother Juggernaut, ship, something else called it. Just it just trundles along the ground. Yeah, I think the crew called it Mother Jugger. <laughs> Just this no Giger aesthetic whatsoever. Well, that's not quite true. I mean, we get the awesome new hallway in the um, Crash Juggernaut. I know, but that was so brief. That was the only yeah, thing, it and it was ripped straight from Prometheus. So, Well, I thought it was more alien than aliens. I thought it looked a lot like the Hive, actually. There was elements of the uh, detailing that I thought was quite aliens-esque. Yeah. Well, for me... Just the most appealing part of Alien um, was the biomechanical elements yeah. of both the space jockey and and the alien. Um, so you've already forced me to change everything I know about the engineers, which I reluctantly got on board with. But now you're just going to bomb all all of that out of existence for who knows what reason. And there goes my investment in this massive shift with Prometheus. Yes. Everything you changed, everything I knew about the space jockey. Like if Prometheus fucked up the lore, this this movie essentially just wiped it clean. Because um, almost, I would say ninety percent of the expanded universe now makes no sense uh, uh -huh. with this movie in mind. So 
Well, maybe I, you know, I pulled that number out of my ass. So no, there's a, a lot of it. Yeah, a great deal of um, Prometheus. A great deal of the expanded universe is null and void. I mean, even with um, even with the soft reboot that happened three years ago. I mean, if we take into if we take it as Scott's presented it right now, which is that David made the aliens, then we get rid of Out of the Shadows because that had ancient aliens. Mm. Uh, ancient spacecraft the um the dog aliens we get rid of sea of sorrows because that plays on the exact same thing we can then get rid of the whole rage wars because that's also a direct sequel to those and the whole point of some of that is that the aliens are this occasional very much in the same sort of vein as destroying angels one of the best alien comics is that the aliens are this force that are unleashed on the galaxy every now and again to restore balance <laughs> they are anakin skywalker yeah. so just <laughs> just in the soft reboot that happened three years ago we have got rid of all but one of the novels that and that intention the the very intention of the soft reboot was to make everything more cohesive yeah. we did yeah. a whole podcast yeah. about that so and now that's wiped away. Are we going to reboot it again? Are we going to do the Prometheus life and death sequel where it just, you know, gets rid of all of this? Like, so it just seems like it's a slap in the face. It, it really yeah. is. Well, this is basically when you said about the invest. it's the investment in you didn't like it, but you went for it. Awesome. People loved it. The engine, the space truck is no longer the space. It's the engineer. And you had an investment in that or you're willing to put and it's wiped clean in this that's like on a much smaller scale what was happened in the 90s with you know you had an investment in the characters of hicks and newt alien 3 wipe wipe them out but here the space jockeys and engineers have so much more relevance to the past and what could have been the the cosmic origin a stepping stone to a larger universe as it was and now as you said it feel this film has made that much smaller and can you imagine, Aaron, what you would have felt like if before you have, you had ever heard of Prometheus, someone told you in the future there's going to be these alien prequel movies and the alien's origin is going to be explained as the board creation of an insane android, an insane narcissistic <laughs> android with daddy issues. Like, would you have been like, oh, man, I want to see that. That sounds amazing. You would have been like, what the fuck? Like, why would they go in that direction? No, I, I, so. completely, I completely agree. And like I've been saying, it's the alien aspects of this film that fuck me off. <laughs> I, do, I do think that... I I don't think I was as angry watching the film as I would have been if I hadn't already known about this for six months. Cards on the table. You know, I've known a great deal of what's mm. in Covenant for the last six months. So I've had a lot of, more time to um, accept it, I guess. Because... It was one of the things I really did not fucking want to happen in this film. And it has, you know, and I didn't want it to happen for all the same reasons that, you know, Ridge Sub's just been saying. You know, I like the alien being this ancient cosmic force of evil or, you know, ancient tool of um, destruction of the engineers as much as you hate that thing um xenomorphin well i don't mind because the thing is regardless of what the true origins were you knew it was it the alien itself represented a glimpse of something much larger much even if it was like a component of a weapon system or something just by existing it 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 was something that it it set fire to the imagination now if and there's still wriggle room but if it does go down this road, it, it, that's it's like permission denied sort of thing. 
it's the problem with prequels. When you explain everything, it's it'll never be as interesting as the imaginings we had growing up with uh, the space jockey and the xenomorph. Uh, those were the two greatest mysteries of the alien universe, and the revelations of both have been entirely unsatisfying. I disagree with the presumption that prequels are inherently shit. And I know I'm making it sound worse than how you just put it, but there is this this notion that prequels are inherently poor because they explain stuff. I disagree with that. These prequels are poor because of the way they specifically executed. Yeah. I wasn't trying to to put it across as that because honestly, I think the Thing prequel, if the studio hadn't sabotaged that movie, would have been my favorite prequel of all time. I think it would have yeah. rivaled the original film. So I think prequels can be done right, and I think you could have done an Alien prequel right. The problem with those prequels being is when you use them to, oh, we're going to explain the mystery. It's like, no, don't have prequels do that. And yeah, I know these both of these films have mystery, but you have good mystery and you have frustrating mystery. The good mystery is like what we saw in Alien, where it's in the background and it serves the plot. And then you have Prometheus and Covenant, where the plot is hinged upon massive, unexplained plot elements, and they wave it away as, oh, it's just a mystery. It's like, no, that's just lazy screenwriting. So let, let me ask you something, and and this goes to all of you then, and it's something you'll probably recognise because it's what I said on the Movie Hell Movie uh, Heaven podcast. If these prequels had given us the aliens as some ancient tools of destruct of destruction uh, that were created by the engineers, and we got this truly uh, gigaresque fucking um, visage of aliens tearing up some other equally horrific monsters from some other ancient race and it was this <laughs> eons old war that you know actually looked like what the films had built up you know this whole lovecraftian nature this other um what is it elder gods kind of thing if the prequels had gone that route would you be whinging about it like i said before every alien fan had their idea of what the the origin of the space jockey and the xenomorph were. So it would really depend how much into that it went. If it was more of the Gigeresque imagery that people expected, I feel less fans would have had a problem with it. And Arthur Max, his explanation for why they didn't do that was, well, people didn't expect it. It's like, well, people expected it because it was good. People wanted to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just say, well, we're... Tra-. And that's what they said. I've been kind of flipping through the art book lately. And it said, well, the design of the chestburster was different because we we knew nothing could match the iconic scene in Alien, so we wanted to make it as different as possible so it would have its own identity. I'm like, that's not a good reason. Just to be, just to be different, you're just essentially mm-hmm. trying to be a hipster. Like, yeah. I'm I'm being different for the sake of being different. It's like, no. Yeah. yeah. Just I do agree. it in a unique <laughs> and interesting way. Like, Aliens did the chestbursting scene in a very interesting way, how it showed back and forth between the screen and Ripley. And her emotional reaction to it with everything yeah. she had been dealing with, seeing that again, yes. it did a very similar scene, but it did it in a unique way while not stepping of the toes on the original film. And even though it added a little thing, like the the arms on the chestburster, it didn't like totally throw away the design and do something else. It's like you you add things. You And I feel this film, that's the biggest problem is it takes away from the, the universe and the other films at large, you add things like, oh, the dog burster. Okay, it takes on the hosts of, of uh, it takes on the traits of a host. Oh, okay, the queen alien. Okay, that's new. That's interesting. It doesn't really change anything I knew about the alien before, 
But when you change so much so drastically in a film and leave so much of it unexplained, it just it makes fans pull their hair out. So I don't necessarily agree with the, the notion that um, prequels are inherently bad because uh, I really like um, some films that self-declared are as prequels. You know, the Star Wars prequels are some of my favorite films of all time, but I think it's more of a genre you know, specific thing. I don't think um, horror films need prequels because horror films work with the notion that show don't tell in the sense that um, they are like, um, I don't know, a magic trick in the sense that you do the magic trick, you pull the uh, bunny from your hat, but you don't tell the audience how you did it thereafter. Otherwise, the magic is gone. The same way, I think, is what works in um, in horror films, and especially in Alien. Alien worked, you know, standing alone when it showed us the joke, it showed us the um, derelict spaceship, and it showed us how the alien works, but it didn't tell us anything. It didn't tell us what the alien was, what the jockey was, or what the relationship was. And that you know, fueled your imagination and kicked it off. And you made the projection. That's how, um, you know, those horror stories of old work, you know, Lovecraft works or Edgar Allan Poe's works. Alien is essentially, um, you know, haunted house in space kind of, you know, kind of story. It's a simple story. It's an exceptionally well-made simple story but it remains a simple story and i just find it questionable that you know why do we need this all this pseudo grandeur this um very philosophical you know um character study of this deranged power fantasy android this you know pinocchio in space or dr moreau in space i don't think it um it's really fitting you know it's it's really needed. What I would have liked to see is perhaps something like, um, this is, you know, pretty much wishful thinking on my part. Yeah, like I'm pretending these prequels don't exist at the moment, but what I would have liked to see was, you know, something, you know, uh, a separate film in the alien universe, um, more focused on the, um, on the space jockey as an alien creature. And perhaps, you know, giving us more lampshade on the jockey, but not explain really anything. That would be uh, kind of ideal for me. But as it stands, the prequels explaining everything just for a horror film is, I think, useless. And I do find merit in Alien Covenant, as I said, because I always support, you know, the notion of a monster or a creature as an expression or a manifestation of a feeling or a cluster of feelings. If you, if you have seen something like Super 8, uh, in that film the monster is an, a manifestation of the inner conflict and angst you know, of the main character. And in this film, the alien, both through its life cycle and its you know, sexually um, overt appearance, you know, the penis head and the penetrative tale, it expresses, um, as we said, in David's deranged 
repressed sexuality. David is essentially a Ken doll that wants to fuck, but he can't. He can't, he can't procreate. And I think, I think that's why he got obsessed with Shaw, because she couldn't procreate either in the, um, mm. in the previous film. And she got to procreate through the um, black uh, cleansing lotion, as, uh, <laughs> as Ridley calls it. And that's why he uses the black suit to, um, you know, to create. He wants to get what he has been denied. He wants to um, be the progenitor of some kind of platform. I think there's some merit to it. But as said, I think it would have been better as, you know, a new franchise, a new sci-fi franchise without any link to Alien and a completely... A separate universe, as opposed to you know being a prequel to Alien. I think it would have been better accepted, and it would generally sit better with you know most people here. Yeah, I think you're right because I mean, Prometheus was written with the very idea of it being in the Alien universe, but going in a completely different direction and exploring other things. And now you've done a complete 180, and it almost just feels so jarring that it's like okay why why did we even do that um <laughs> so i think you're right and i think horror film uh prequels can work like like i was saying earlier the thing prequel it it was good but it could have been great if not for a couple things yeah. um i think the prequels to the silence of the lambs films you had red dragon um with edward norton i thought that was Excellent. I know I got mixed reviews. And you had a prequel that went even further back called Hannibal Rising. That movie got thrashed by critics. But hey, again, I really enjoyed it. So I think with prequels, the thing is, as long as you're not stepping on the toes of the other creators, and as long as you're not giving too much away and explaining everything, I think it can work. And I think the Alien prequels could have worked, but they're at a point now where it's just a direction that as a longtime Alien fan, I fundamentally disagree with. What about you, Zena Muffin? What's your take on the prequel angle? Prequels can work. As an example, like <laughs> as Omega was saying about the the Star Wars prequels, I yeah I can take them or leave. Um, they don't impress me. However, I do like the CGI cartoons that have come since then that bridge the prequels to the original trilogy um clone wars and um rebels and um, there's been some great right they've been some ropey episodes but there have been some really great writing to the point where they made me like anakin skywalker anakin in those came across as a completely believable character i wish the anakin from the cgi cartoons had been the ones we actually saw in the live action stuff that george lucas did um Likewise, with the Hellraiser films, there have been one of them was partially a prequel because it had flashbacks. But they got a bit, you know, as time went on, they weren't so great, but they gave it over to um, the comics. And because it was it was much more open to interpretation than something like the Alien films. But there have been some blindingly good stories in the car. I don't just mean the one that Clive Barker did, but. The, even the ones done in the 90s, there were some really effective horror stories and some some that were really big mind fucks just because the, they gave them. They said, we want you to in, for each Hellraiser story, you can answer questions. But for every question you are, you ask, um, sorry, answer, um, you've got to raise two more. 
fact, they gave him a very definitive sort of Bible for the writers to write, but it was very creatively open. And some of the stuff they came up with for that, it really opened the basic stuff that was given in the films. They really had a nice sandbox environment creatively. For the alien, if, as you say, if it had been the, the and again, there's still wriggle room, but if it carries on, you have David create the aliens, if it had been that they were some Lovecraftian thing, yes, that would have fixed that component of it. As, as you say, there's a part in the Alan Dean Foster novelization, which does actually fix that. It does imply it's a template that he got from the engineers that he's modifying. Um, the film doesn't say that, but you know it's a possibility that would have fixed that aspect if it had been the same story as a whole though it still has flaws and where the aliens came from wouldn't have affected corrected in any it wouldn't have modified the flaws it already has um i mean even if you go by the characters i think most people liked danny mcbride's his character on the other hand, you had Daniels and people were saying, well, will she be a Ripley clone? And ultimately, yeah, me personally, I put her as another Ripley clone in at the same level as Lexa Woods out of the first AVP film. Um, the thing that differentiated Ripley, not just in the film, but even Amanda Ripley in isolation, I guess, those characters feel like they earn the status. They are later known, you know, so iconic for, especially in Aliens. Ripley got very little characterization in Alien, but in Aliens, it gave them much more character development over the story. Whereas these days, the temptation is to just give a woman a like a, a mechanical sort of hands-on profession, have her tough it out against a beast, and they're imagining she's going to be as good and as iconic as Ripley. I liked Daniels, but she's no Ripley. So there yeah. are... And again, you have all this stuff, even if David isn't destined to become the maker of the alien, I still have these other problems with how he's been written as a human far too much. I wish they had written him more as I would have perceived him. I loved Walter, but David, A., what I liked about him in Prometheus, it's, it's no longer there for me. I think that Lovecraftian thing would have only fixed that one aspect. It wouldn't have altered the rest of it. Yeah, I what think, made, sorry, I think we we better let go of these uh, all these uh, Lovecraft stuff, and um, because it was only the intention of the original film, it's very clear to me that no filmmaker after you know after Alien had Lovecraft in mind in any possible way. Yeah. It was all about the only really, Lovecraft it? stuff we had was by reflection some plot points from Prometheus and those weren't Lovecraft inspired but they were you know um, their weights of early alien script drafts that's why we have all the people saying Prometheus is like at the mountainous madness because Prometheus harkens back to some uh, early drafts of alien but you know there's not direct Lovecraft inspiration and nature is there in in Covenant, so it it was the original intention. That's you know that's a given. But I think we let we better let go of that because it's evident by this point that nobody is ever going back to the um, you know Lovecraft version of Alien. We aren't going back to um, 
to the aliens, you know, some kind of part of an unknown, very huge universe as it was before. We aren't going to uh, to see that the jockey is uh, some sort of, you know, otherworldly civilization or something. We're stuck with this. We're stuck with this um, smaller universe, and we better, you know, get going with that. Unless, unless there's someone else, you know, uh, taking the reins and saying, "Oh fuck this! Let's let's do it again," like they did with the Halloween franchise. I think they have three or four continuities going down there. Something's crazy like that. I think something could and like that could happen here as well. But you know, for now, there's little evidence that what's going to happen and that is a cold slap in the face by omega morph <laughs> <laughs> oh it's the damn truth isn't it i mean the 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 problem i had with the concept of um bloom camps thing was i didn't want this idea of alternate timelines alternate continuities and stuff like that going off but we are at the point where <laughs> to get back to doesn't sound music, so bad now does it <laughs> yeah yeah i feeling like a massive fucking hypocrite now Purely because I don't, I don't like this direction. I, I can't lie. Yeah, but I mean, when Omega said we have to let go, I don't think we should let go of it. It just needs the right people to handle it in the right. I mean, we know Blomkamp himself. He was making noises in the direction of Lovecraftian stuff. He wanted to return it to those H.R. Giger aesthetics. He wanted to bring back, you know, the psychosexuality. I mean, that's another thing about this. There were some points where there could have been a return of the kind of stuff that Lambert went through and the ball was just dropped. They didn't do that. He could have had something rather chilling going on in a number of scenes and it felt dry. It's This is the problem that Alien 3 had with its creature. In the prison, it was just an alien creature running around, killing people relatively quickly, if messy, that we didn't care about. In here, we... You know, you may have understood the difference between a few characters, but it was just basically a creature running around, killing people a bit messily. That isn't what made the alien so iconic. You had, I remember an interview back in the 90s where it was with Ridley Scott and he was, I'm guessing it was either at the time of Alien or soon after. And he was saying, um, you know, what makes it different is this, and he used the phrase, this thing isn't like a tiger. It doesn't just eat you there's something you get the hint that there's something much more disturbing behind it i think if you had the right combination of right the correct writer or writers and the correct director who would give you the right visual stuff i think it could be done but it's it's a matter of getting them who would you choose could blonde camp be it may be because he was making noises in that direction but i think there are ways to do it. It's just if it. I think what we should say: if, if it can't be done right, then it shouldn't be done r- at all. But if there is a chance of being done right, we should embrace it. Well, there was such a positive fan reaction to that art, which is why Fox had a meeting with Bloomkamp and the uh, Blomkamp uh, in the first place. And uh, you know, if that movie does get canceled, if there was more art, I really hope for an art book on that. That would be awesome. But it was kind of frustrating as well when Ridley had a meeting with Blomkamp and he said, I want you to change these things uh, so as not to step on the toes of what I want to do in Covenant. It's like, why? I mean, if, if Ridley is able to 
change everything we know about the space jockeys, why shouldn't Blomkamp be able to do that? Why shouldn't he be able to make something that's closer to uh, most fans' original vision for that? I think we're at a point where, like you were saying, Hicks, alternate timelines or alternate continuities don't seem that bad. Um, Like a certain particular member on our forum says, canon is like your opinion, man. So (laughs) it's... I think we're at that point where we where we have to go well, and that's what's so good about the expanded universe is it it has the freedom to explore those things, um, but they're all recognized as their own interpretations. The problem I had with Blomkamp's thing was that Alien never struck me as a property that really warranted alternate continuities. I guess I mean sure the fucking comics have done it, the the EU's done it forever um, in its own way, but the the films always felt more grounded. Resurrection you know aside <laughs> so that that was my problem with with Blomkamp's thing it, it would just feel too comic booky it would feel like star trek and while it works for star trek it, it wouldn't work for alien for me and same as i mean we, we're talking speculatively at this point and we run the risk of talking circles but we don't know what Blomkamp was going to do we don't know what really no. wanted changed and let's talk in hypothetically if they were playing along the same themes if they had both released those, and I'm not insulting the intelligence of the audience here, but I'm just speaking generally, it runs the risk of potentially confusing folk who aren't paying as much attention as you know us nerds might be. If we've got one film telling them one thing about one creature, and then a different film telling them a different thing about the same creature, it runs the risk of being all, what the fuck? So I can kind of see it from that sort of angle why they would not want to go down that route. The problem is that the recent, I think it was the Empire interview with Ridley Scott, he is essentially, because it's not just the thing about David making the alien. He is now on record. He's saying his ultimate plan for this is because he wants to see it as big as Star Wars or the Marvel. That's never going to happen because it's a very niche horror thing. But he has used the phrase, he wants the prequels, not sequels, but the prequels, to actually become a war of the world scenario. Now, to me, that that is way bigger than you can do with prequels. You want to do it with sequels, okay, but he actually wants to make it a big, like an intergalactic war scenario. That, if he does that, especially if he, he moves away from the Queen, and previously he said the Queen was a clever idea, but because he dodged that question, it makes me wonder now. If he does that, it's not just going to erase this new Promethean era, if you will, continuity. He's going to take that out of canon. It's going to be considered a, re- a restart, effectively. But it's going to become all the things that he's previously said he doesn't want to make it. It's going to be big and flashy and superficial, which previous to this, you could have said, well, he's not going to do that. But you look at how he handles the alien, and it is big and flashy and, you know, you have literally an alien riding that, you know, the, the hovercraft thing and it's headbutting the window and you, you always seen it brightly lit and it's, it's leaping about all the place. And it's not done in a darkly, relatively darkly lit alien three way. It's done in a way where you'd expect like if the Avengers had had an alien cameo, it would have been a bit like this. So it does kind of make me wonder it, is this now actually going to go down that very route that a lot of people said, no, I don't want Blomkamp to do that because it's going to be too much that way. But 
when you have Ridley Scott saying he wants to make ultimately make this a war of the world scenario, that worries me, especially in the prequel territory. Yeah, it'll feel very strange if we have, you know, more than one of these prequels continuing here and it gets really grand leading up into yeah. this quiet story about space truckers. Um, <laughs> yes. And I kind of wanted to touch on something you said before Xenomorphine about Ripley and, and now the trope we're starting to see within the Alien franchise itself of the strong female lead. I think it was so effective with Ripley because not only did she have to prove herself in survival situations, she had to prove herself in social situations. Yes. And she proved herself as a self-competent, uh, capable leader and when you just try and, and and you'll never reach that level it's like sarah connor ellen ripley like legendary status you you won't get there again unless you give us a little break from that so i think the alien franchise mm-hmm. it, if there is another film made needs to switch that formula up a bit because at this point with the films we expect oh we're gonna get the strong ripley clone you know it's it's getting tropey it's getting stereotypical of the alien franchise and we need to just drop it and have a, a different style of character uh, be a protagonist in these films. Okay, well, let's steer back towards the creature discussion because I don't think we've talked a lot about the actual um, effects of them. So I think this is more Omega Morph sort of realm. So if you want to uh, start us off, you know, what did you think of the effects in the film? I really, really like the Neomorphs, especially the um, the animation of them. There's this one scene, um, which is my favorite in the film, where these Neomorphs just, you know, rip, ripped off the head of one of the characters, and it is crouching, and David comes in, and, you know, the Neomorph stands up, and it assumes this uh, kind of, you know, mannequin-like pose, it um it reminded me of those you know early tests of the alien suit the with Bolahi Vallejo um where where he had this you know mock-up alien head with the bad guys mm, he had this very mannequin-like movement and I feel that was what they were trying to you know channel with that scene and it was a very great scene it, it, the creature had a very um tangible sense of presence and i really like the design as well i'm very glad the neomorph um, as a design had the chance to appear in a film after it was basically killed in action before you know being filmed in prometheus because they actually you know had the uh, holloway alien just become the um, you know the trilobite and I also really like the um, the new chest burster, uh, which is semi-transparent, looks like steel, and with the way you know light goes through it. Even though I don't understand why exactly um, it has these huge arms, whereas I think they should be more you know smaller because it's an embryonic form, and you know the the head should be a little bit larger than them, but. I literally like that regardless. And I think the new Big Chap design is actually very good. I love the fact that, you know, they had the skull underneath um, be um, not a human skull, but, you know, it's like they had the eye sockets for those big bug-like eyes from Necronom 4 or the early um, Giger 
alien concepts that, that, that had those big black eyes. And it's like they took the eyes out, put the eye sockets on, and then put the dome on them. And it's, I think that's a very brilliant design choice. And I think the CGI works. Mm, it's very fluid and, um, and it really expresses the insect-like or felon-like uh, movements of the alien. Okay, what about you, Xenomorphin? What do you feel about the uh, creature effects and designs? I thought, well, yeah, uh, when you examine something like the visual effects, it, I think it comes down to two different components. Um, one is like the visual look of them, and the other is the choreography, how they move. I thought a lot of the movement, the choreography, especially of the face hugger and the the infant forms of the creatures, that was really well done. Um, see the actual visuals, not so much. You could definitely like I found the CGI serviceable, but it wasn't convincing in the way it should be. Um, you have, for instance, in the the um, the first backburster scene, um, which, as I said earlier on, uh, that was one of the scenes I really liked. For me, actually, I think that was possibly the best scene in the film. Um, and while I could tell once the thing emerged from the body, I could kind of like tell it was CGI. But it was the movement of the thing which sold me on it. You could see it's doing these very, like, it twitched like an insect once it was responding to sound. And that really sold it to me. It's like a, not so much I was convinced it was a living, breathing creature, but you definitely got the essence of something alive. Um, again, the face hugger moved really nicely. I, that was a, some beautiful movement on the face hugger. Um, mm -hmm. Later on, you also had, I really like the shots of the alien going down that, like um, the, the ladder stairwell thing. And it, when it was attacking the camera, those were some really nice movements. Mm. On the other hand, hand, they were some less convincing instances. And the Neomorph design felt like they took an alien or a deacon and they took away all the parts that made it interesting. Um, the actual alien itself, what is meant to be the alien, the because they took away a, not all but a lot of the biomechanical detail, it was not as it's not the alien to me, but it was on the other hand, again, it was so refreshing after all these years to finally see alien jaws with those tendons on. Um, there are those shots, especially in the um, the adverts that they did, I think, for Audi, where they did some Covenant stuff on. And you had that, that um, close-up shot from the side of the alien's head where it's slowly opening the jaws. Those look beautiful. And I th I'm pretty sure those were probably practical animatronic props. But a lot of the other stuff, when it's just like it's leaping around and it's jumping, it was too obviously CGI. It never convinced me it was something physical, like an actual animal. I could tell it was fake, and that pulled me out of it. I, I think I think I said earlier that Ridley Scott, he's convinced himself that the other films all use CGI, especially the last one, when they didn't. So I think he felt justified in this. They were, as I found out on Alien Day, they did have this big puppeteering rig, that were, but they didn't have time to both design it and construct yeah. it. Yeah. Um, we've seen a picture of it, 
um, against the green screen with a guy behind it. The limbs, to me, look too thin. Now, the version we see, the, the limbs are more in proportion. I, so I think that's actually an improvement on what the puppeteering rig would have been. But I can't help thinking that the way the light would have interacted with it, it would have come across much more like the alien of old. It convinced you it's physically there with the actors. So I think from a movement point of view, choreographed, I think a lot of that, there was a lot to admire there. But it's like when we referenced the thing prequel earlier that a lot of that was failing creature wise because you could tell it was cgi and i think here you've got the same problem it's not that the alien isn't as you know predatory and all the rest of it but it it's it's it looks fake you're looking at something and you can say it it looks decent but it, it's not good enough so it's like my earlier view of the film as a whole it kind of works decent as a horror film but for a an alien film of 2017 i i really wish it should have been better what about you rich you actually probably the only one of us that's read the uh, making of book as well so you might have some extra perspective from that uh i've gone into it a little bit and they have some really good photographs of the onset practical effects uh they had a full xenomorph suit, which I guess they used for a recent uh, comedy sketch on late night TV. And it's it's a shame to see that because it's the same points you guys have, have been bringing up. I don't think the CG with close-up shots is still as convincing as practical effects. And, you know, CG and practical effects are both great tools for the filmmaker to use. And I feel that they're the most effective when you play to their strengths. Um, if you make everything CG, the CG becomes more obvious. Like you have a film in like Jurassic Park three, where you have CG and practical effects in the same shot and they both work really well. Uh, and then you have a film like Jurassic world where it's almost completely CG. And one of the top complaints of people is, Oh, well the movie was just a CG fest. It was just loaded with CG. And it's the same thing, like you mentioned, Xenomorphine, with the theme prequel. You had ADI create these outstanding practical effects for the film. You can go on YouTube, and and ADI, I'm sure they were frustrated with this. You You can watch videos that they shared of these practical effects, and they're just outstanding. But for whatever reason, the studio executives think CG is more convincing. But it's not. Not when it's used in the ways that it was used for those films. And it's it's even more expected practical effects in a series that has a legacy of strong practical effects. Aliens is one of those series. Aliens has always had a great mix of practical effects. Um, Alien 3, although the compositing was poor, I'd say the actual um, rod puppet they used, the movements were great on that. It was just poor compositing. Um, and Resurrection introduced CG to the alien for the first time. It was okay, but it was used very sparingly, so it wasn't as glaring as it was here. Although the CG in this movie was better for the alien than it was in Resurrection, I feel like it was less convincing than it was in Resurrection because it was used so sparingly in Resurrection. It was applied with its strength. Oh, we need a shot of the alien quickly going in here. Let's use it real quick. But it didn't have these close-up shots that were so obviously CG. And it's a shame to see the hard work that, um, who was the effects team? Odd Studio and Creature uh, uh, Creature Effects Inc., I think it is. 
or Creatures Inc., something like that. I, I can't speak for them, but I assume it has to be frustrating for them to put that work into it. I don't know if they just built suits for lighting reference or if they actually had an animatronic yeah. function or whatnot, but I'm sure on some level it must be frustrating for them that their work can only be seen in, in the art book, that it's well, they not said really seen on they screen. Knew, they knew right from the beginning that it would yeah. all be replaced, so they were aware yeah. that was the end result. Oh, okay. I, I hadn't heard about that, but that's a shame. I think the movie could have used some some more animatronics and some more practical effects. And having seen the reactions of people who have seen the film, another one of the main complaints I've seen is the, the CG for the alien. As far as the design of the alien goes, I'm really missing the Giger aesthetic for that as yes. well. I would like to see a more biomechanical alien. It was nice to see the skull under the dome again. Um, the alien had some... Very interesting, lakey uh, proportions. I would have liked to have seen more of it, but the cuts of the alien itself were so quick. Mm. Um, there were a couple of interesting moments. You mentioned uh, Omega Morph with the the Neomorph scene where it kind of stood upright in kind of a marionette fashion. And the Xenomorph did that at a couple of points as well. When it first walked out of the engineer, uh, the Hall of Heads, I think they called it, it was just kind of walking upright like a man, and then it quickly got into its crawling pose and scuttled towards the lander. And uh, it, it did that again when it walked into the terraforming bay, once it was on the, the Covenant ship. It entered the room just kind of walking upright. That is probably my favorite shot of the alien in the film, is when it walks into the terraforming bay. And it's just all upright and looks really humanoid and really manlike. And obviously it isn't, and it looked creepy as fuck. I really enjoyed that shot, short as it may have been. Yeah. Although, I mean, there is something to be said for how it was portrayed in isolation. It was hunched over. It was creeping. Yeah. And yeah, you can say that's uh, cliche or whatnot. And oh, we want to see more of the the weird aspect of the alien. But I don't know. It's 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 a balance. And I think to bring it back to Alien Isolation for a second, that proved that the alien could be scary again. And that's why that game was so special. I feel like with the alien in this, it just quickly was on the ship. It was dispatched twice, even though you might have seen it, I don't know, a little bit more, a little bit less than in the first alien. There was always this looming dread, this looming tension of the alien was in the background and, and the characters in that film had to plan and they failed and they had to come up with new plans. But in this movie, the Xenomorph, both of them were dispatched pretty quickly. You know, one just jumped right into the crane and it was crunched. And the other one gets, uh, what do you know, thrown out the airlock and impaled and thrown out the airlock, just like the first film. So the aliens were both killed without any setbacks with heavy machinery the whole time. There's no sense of sacrifice in order to do it. Yeah, and the whole time, Walter, Walter in quotation marks, was tracking it for them, which since he was really David, it makes you wonder, okay, yeah. why didn't he just trap them in a room with it? If he he obviously cared about his creation, was he testing it? Or so that kind of made me raise an eyebrow. But how, I mean, how scary would Alien be if Mother was like, the alien is in this part of the ship. Uh, please report to this part of the ship. I'm tracking it. Here's cameras in every corner of the ship. We know exactly where it is. It's like, that wouldn't be scary at all. 
So well, that in Alien, they made the point of saying, you know, they were about to lift off, saying, "Well, we need all these cameras fixed," and but Dallas is like, "Oh, that's bullshit. Let's lift off with that." So in that that little line there, instantly, you know, you get more into the film when the danger hits. You you already know that not only are those they blind and all those decks, but who in their right mind is going to go down there and fix all those cameras? Here, you you don't have that. Hmm. One thing is you brought up Rich Top. Uh, about the lack of um, Giger aesthetic, um, with this, you know, alien looking very kind of, you know, an anatomy mannequin. You know, the practical version look at, look at like that, and then the digital version uh, kind of added more tendons, more muscles, and stuff. But still, there's very little, you know, biomechanical details. What I find kind of interesting is. How few people seem to notice that, in the sense that a very widespread um, complaint about the ADI aliens is that they're fleshy and they took the um, biomechanical aesthetic out and thus they suck. So um, I find it weird that not not so many fans are complaining that this alien is um, fleshy. I mean, they they have just justified that by saying um, that they building toward the Giga aesthetic in later films. But then again, you also had the explanation for what you know the resurrection aliens look at like that, and people still complain about them, but not about this. And it's you know it's kind of weird that we don't see more of that. I don't personally. Think that. I mean, I love the Resurrection Aliens and I love this new alien. Um, I think it's a very great design. But, you know, it's, I think, kind of hypocritical from some people, not, just not applying the same criticism. criticism. I, I totally agree. And I find I'm actually a fan of ADI's aliens as well, both in AVP and AVPR and Alien Resurrection. I was a big fan of. ADI's designs. Yeah, they were fleshy, but they were a different take on it. So I could I could put it towards an aesthetic choice. And even with ABPR, I was like, oh, we get to see the ridge heads again. That's kind of cool. It's been a while since we've seen that. And now I'm starting to feel that way with the Giger aesthetic. It's like we've had fleshy aliens since 1997 now. And mm-hmm. again, I bring up Alien Isolation. That's one of the reasons it was so aesthetic, uh, so uh, amazing was because we saw the Giger aesthetic since we had not seen since the original film. And it was awesome. Um, so I just find myself missing that. It's not so much that I mind fleshy aliens too much. It's just, I'd like a little variety between the designs. I think it's worth mentioning in terms of visual effects, not just the creatures. I think some of the, when you get that uncanny Valley effect, I think some of that, because, you know, you have things like, you know, spaceship effects and all the rest of it. They, they were all perfectly done, even the suits at the beginning. But I think something that did t- detract away from the realism of the CGI is when there were the Neomorphs getting shot or when you, when you had one of the, you know, the actual proper aliens and they got impaled on the um, like the forklift thing. You had the CGI blood, and it didn't look like actual liquid. It looked like CGI blood to me. Um, that did, there was something about the way it moved or the viscosity of it, but it didn't look all right. It looked like that 
traditional thick CGI blood splatter that you get in films and they just like you know colored it brown or whatever i think that didn't help with trying to sell the alien the like the creature cgi mm. well, that's pretty much ongoing issue still with cgi blood isn't it mm. but you i mean there are ways to you there are ways to do practical blood effects and then you just augment the actual creature in cgi but you can have actual like particle effects that actually you know the real stuff on set and then you just augment things with cgi here they weren't just replacing the entire creature they were doing the creature and the blood and all that. all of it was cgi and yet when i'm talked to conroe conroe sullivan he was very much the mind that in this film it was that perfect fusion of augmentation and yet it did end up just like on the thing prequel where that was meant to be the perfect augmentation where one discipline of cgi was meant to reinforce the discipline of practical effects and vice versa we didn't actually get that in the end result well we didn't get it with the creatures but like you were saying we did get it with the ships they built this giant practical rig for that cargo lift and and ridley seems very concerned with practical sets so there were a lot of practical effects it's just a Mm. shame they were mostly for the technology and the spaceships and the locations yeah they weren't for the creatures um, at least not for anything more than the purpose of the actors or the lighting reference. I, I have to pretty much echo everybody's sentiments so far. Uh, like Omega Morph, I really liked the Neomorphs and, and the alien designs. I thought it was great to see the Beluga aliens actually return and make an appearance. And, you know, I, I quite liked the the Horse Whisperer scene. You know, it's it sounds silly on paper, but I thought it looked it worked pretty well. I thought the Neomorph looked mm. creepy as. And I think the alien, you know, when it was, you know, going slower, when it was taking its time, looked creepy as. But like you guys were saying, it's so noticeably CG that it's it's distracting, I guess. And a lot of that is to do with them putting full lighting on. I think the CGI would have worked better as CGI if they had used things like creative use of shadows and stuff, which, although, you know, the game, Alien Isolation, is completely, literally everything in it is CGI, but the people behind it have clearly researched to the hilt how to use shadows and lighting, and you didn't get that same level of shadow and lighting in this one, which is really weird because Ridley Scott was pretty much one of the pioneers of that kind of creative use of lighting and it's really with in this he's almost completely eschewing it in favor of full-on lighting which doesn't help it cgi would have been helped by more use of shadows and such i do think it was interesting that they actually had practical aliens on set though and like you were saying earlier they knew that it would be um augmented replaced whatever Uh, completely replaced yeah yeah Um, but it was still interesting that they actually went to the effort to design them and build them and actually have them on on set and you know physical things for the actors to play against, which I kind of appreciate the sentiment behind that, um, at least for the from you know for the actors' point of view. The other interesting thing about them having um, actual practical, although they were used typically using components of body parts and what have you on set for lighting references so they could pass them to the cgi guys 
it is interesting during that it's not just the you know the creature stuff but it's also the in the adam savage videos where you have like you saw how they constructed those pressurized suits and things it's interesting just from the point of like the film industry that this was I, I'm sure it's not the first film, but it is one of, if not the first film, to use 3D printing in as massively a scale as this one did. Um, no, <laughs> no, they they've been used um, uh, 3D printing for the last, you know, five. Or six yeah, but years. Th- this was this was literally like they were just using it for virtually everything on the on the set and they it was literally so he could just say well i don't like that and they just could change it and they could just get a a fresh entire model done in just less than five minutes and it's interesting to see how how that is going to revolutionize films like this in future regardless of how much cgi they use because in the old days you know just machining up um, like a gun prop or something and now it's it's you can literally have it done in the back room and it's done it's it's just fast it's like this film in a lot of ways was a learning process i i do think i do think that um a few practical creatures um survived the final cut i think if you just you know look well enough i think some shots of the um falling throat buster are um you know just when it falls out of the um, of the sack, it's practical, and the eggs, the exterior of the eggs was obviously, obviously practical, and I think some face hugger shots as well, but I I'm not that sure. Yeah, I think they did I, have them spring loaded. Yeah, I think the face hugger when Orem had just gotten face hugged and he was lying on the ground and it was just still on his face, that was practical. Yeah. Um, I know they had a little rod puppet of the the burster uh, miniature xenomorph that came out that was translucent or semi-translucent. Um, that was a rod puppet that was replaced with CG. I really um, like that effect. I mean, for the um, you know the whole it not looking right thing. I just you know the the whole gangly, weirdly proportioned. And even the translucent aspect of it, I thought that was a nice throwback to those old sort of um, experiments they tried on the original Alien. Yeah, you know, that's what it, I thought. Yeah. To say what we want about the design and uh, the whole it not being a snake thing, but I did, I did really like that how it looked. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. That's fine. It was still an interesting scene, and especially with the music, there was this kind of weird melodic tone that was almost just beautiful, and it was this there was this obviously the moment David has with the alien where he extends his arms and it mimics him. And I'm kind of raising my eyebrow cause I'm like the aliens have never shown this behavior. That's strange. But um, regardless, it was an interesting scene and it was well executed. I just think it wasn't fitting. You know, the reason the chestburster was like it was, was because it was this muscle snake that had to punt its way through a rib cage. If you have this mm-hmm. fragile little mini alien, it doesn't seem very, practical yeah. that it could do that the lack of being a snake thing did bother me a bit but what was i found interesting was you know when it does burst through it does sort of retain that snakeish appearance until like the um the sack or whatever um sort of sheds and it takes the form of the miniature alien and i'm this is alan dean foster's being mentioned again he specifically mentions that david had sort of 
introduced a accelerated growth rate into it which oh it's the avp solution yeah. <laughs> yeah, well the the avp thing was just fun fun uh, yeah but it's this it's the same like yeah, it's, it's the same theory thing. yeah well that made sense because you had the queen hooked up to all this machinery and the director yeah. said like oh they're the predators are not patient so they want to use yeah. These hormones. Oh, no, that though. made total. I wish that had actually been in the film, actually, but um, I'm just I'm just noticing it's the um, the same mm. kind of same kind of thing, yeah. yeah. But the, the the book has the whole alien thing being a little different, where it is actually an engineer left over that David tinkers with, so it's some yeah. new type of creature. And I must be honest, I. I prefer the book as an experience over the film itself you know a lot of the issues that i had and i think a lot of people will have are addressed by alan dean foster you know and he he does his best to sort of iron out iron out the issues because he he comes it from he comes at it from the same sort of perspective that we do you know as nitpicky nitpicky fans so i do recommend giving it a read by the way um anybody listening and, and you guys too if you get the chance and you know what the, the and something else i wanted to mention in regards to the cg aliens was it disappointed me that they were so noticeably cg when you've got things like the prawns in um District yeah. nine that, that are just so amazingly photorealistic cg and that was something i was actually excited about if blomkamp had have given been given the chance to make his film we would have seen, hopefully, on that level. Yeah, that sort of level. But when we get these aliens in, um, aliens in Covenant that are so noticeably artificial, it's it's disappointing, I guess. Well, the, yeah. it is one of the main criticisms. I have seen a lot of fan reactions where they, even people that liked it, and they're going, I liked it, but though it was really obvious CGI. And it's it is a shame that um, it, it's as you said. I, I actually watched District Nine just about two or three weeks ago when it aired on TV, and it had been a while since I did it. I thought, well, well you know, been a while, so I'll sit down. And it's aged really well. But as you say, the prawns they you can tell they are doing a mixture of CGI and practical, but you really have a difficult time figuring out where the line is in that film. And and as you say, it, you and that was, how many years ago was District 9? Getting on about 10-ish. Yeah, um, that, there you go, if that was, there you go, a decade on from that. And, yet here, and those were, because the thing that struck me about that when I was looking at it, I thought the, these are things which are actually in full sunlight. Most of the scenes are they're, they're using the you know that sun of that environment. There's very much an atmosphere of the piece, and the the realism of them isn't devalued for a moment. And here you look at these, and there's not much difference in terms of you know they're both very insectoid, blah 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 blah. But you, it's it's de, it's devaluing the the realism of something which is supposed to come across if not scary to the audience, then a viable threat to the characters in it. And I'm not saying it's hard to take seriously, but you, when when your brain is constantly being tricked into thinking this isn't real, it it, it ruins the, the ambience of the 
a given scene that the director is trying to set up for you. Yeah, completely agree. Should we talk a little bit about the score before we wrap up then? I think we're getting towards that point, aren't we? Yeah, this for me was my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the movie. I thought Jed Kurtzel, that's who did it, right? Yeah, or something to that effect. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Yeah, if I'm pronouncing that that wrong, sorry. But uh, I thought he did an outstanding job. I thought the score was one of the best parts of the film. Uh, it really reminded me of the the score for Predators. There were a lot of nods in that towards the original Predator. But it still had its own identity, and it still had a lot of uh, interesting new themes. Uh, this was very much in the spirit of the score of the original Alien. There were some cues and themes that were just right from that. Uh, they were emulated a bit and altered a bit so that they were different. Um, but it still had its own identity, and there were a lot of themes that were new and, and different and had the kind of haunting, ambient themes that we uh, heard in Prometheus a bit. There is one scene, though, and, and this this kind of deals with the music, if not, that was super weird, and it goes a bit meta. It's where... David plays the theme from Prometheus on the flute. Yes, I noticed Absolutely that. hated that scene. It was <laughs> way too self-referential and broke the fourth wall in ways that alien films don't tend to do that. And, you know, I, it was pretty much the only instance of music in the film that I genuinely hated. Um, like you, I, I thought it was fantastic. It had its own identity. Um, and those sort of weird ghostly type um, themes that it had going were great. I could have done without the repeated use of the alien themes uh, of Goldsmith's uh, movements mostly because I've never really found Alien to be a series that had its own themes in the same way the Predators did. You know, each each of the film had, had its own real identity and while Covenants did have its own, you know it was invaded a little bit too much by the other films. I mean Alien is very obviously in there. We spoke earlier about how um, Alien 3's crept in there little bits. And obviously it's got Prometheus in there. And In terms of in, being in the score itself, I didn't mind Prometheus's um, track. You know, when it's playing over Shaw's, uh, David um, talked about Shaw. But yeah, that scene where David's playing it on the flute, I was just like, Ugh, no thank you. About you, Xenomorphin, what, what was your take on the uh, the music? Um, I guess I'm going to have to say it's serviceable because aside from the Jerry Goldsmith alien stuff, I honestly don't know if that would, they were samples or if they were rearrangements. Um, they sounded very like overly familiar, so I'm guessing they were samples. I don't really remember any specific melodic, you know, tunes from it. So... I don't know. I, th- I guess I'm going to have to watch it another time whenever it comes on, you know, film channel or something. No, I, nothing really stood out as, because like, sometimes you come out of a movie and you, you find yourself associated. Like, like with Prometheus, I remember, I do have distinct memories of coming out and I remember that big majestic fanfare piece of when that plays over the scene where the telescope space jockey chair thing rises up and also the piece from the um you know the the holographic star system map comes out i remember those bits of music from this i don't recall taking away anything from it music wise aside from the jerry goldsmith stuff i do remember thinking during it um 
you know, there's some, this sounds a little bit like Alien 3 or whatever, but I, I can't, like, you know, have an actual memory of it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I can't really give a verdict on this. I'm going to have to listen when the, the I guess it's going to come out on YouTube or something when somebody the puts the soundtrack on it. Yeah, so I'm going to have to find a way of... Because I do want to spend... With Alien films, it is often worth just... Not watching with the film, just listen to them as a piece of music. Um, they are oddly pretty much all consistent with that reward factor. But I, I, I never really came away from this film with a specific melody in mind. So, um, yeah, I'm not saying it's forgetful. It's just nothing really stood out in it for me. But, I mean, that's the same as I was with um, AVP Requiem. And that had a lot of tunes which are like emulating a lot of the original Alien and Predator filmed. It's just that there was, I think there was the one called Striptease or something. That was memorable when they're going in the pool, but most of it was like, it was all emulation instead of being its own thing. So I don't know, maybe that's the effect this one had on me. Okay. Well, I think we've been going on quite a bit now. Um, long time. Long time, and hopefully we haven't talked <laughs> talked in too much circles so i figured we would just sort of wrap up there's one last thing we need to talk about we should mention the ending the the twist that everyone oh, saw yeah. coming um as well as where we think it could go from here because i think we're even further away from the setup in alien than we were at the end of prometheus hmm. uh, i i agree in regards to the twist ending, um, I liked the actual end, as in I liked the reveal to Daniels. Um, obviously, the entire audience had figured this out a long, long, long time yes. ago. But that look of horror on Daniels's face when she knows and starts, you know, freaking out inside the cryotube, I loved it. I thought it was such a awesome, bleak ending. Um that worked really well. It's just a shame that it's so obviously telegraphed from mm. the first moments. You know, a lot of people have an issue with David cutting his hair and stuff. And again, this is one of those moments where you guys probably won't necessarily agree with me, but it makes sense within the internal logic of the film. You know, the guy has the guy, the the robot has been alone on his own for all this time, and his appearances gone unkempt one of the first things i'd do if i rejoined some semblance of civilization would be to clean up my appearance so i don't see that as being a massive issue in terms of for the characters but for the audience it's so obvious well it was more than that i mean he does his hair perfectly like walters he cuts off his hand and he changes his clothes as the characters are running out of the building like how does he have time to do all that and I would think at the end when she's like, will you help me build my cabin? He'd just be like, sure, of course. You know, like he wouldn't he wouldn't just be like, uh, what are you talking about? He wouldn't make it obvious that he was David. Apparently that one went through quite a few um, quite a few versions and it was changed as a result of the test screenings, actually. Apparently one, it wasn't telegraphed enough and then one, it was too telegraphed. And this is ultimately what they settled on. And the book's different. The book ends differently as well. You know, they don't reveal it in in the book at all. You know, Daniels never finds out. Ah. That would have been better, I think. Which was one of 
was it the first? I can't remember which way around it was, but that was one of the test screenings. The endings and the test screenings. Hmm. What I think would have impressed, I just wish they had, because the first thing, you know, they have that weird fight that they do with Walter and David. There's something off about that. It didn't feel right. But, um, and then you go to him and he does that little, little evil smirk. And at that point, you knew what had happened. There was no debating about it. They should have removed that. And it, the thing about it was, it was so telegraphed. When I was watching it, I was actually geared up for the actual, there to be a real twist at the end where McBride's character and what was McBride? Tennessee. Tennessee and Daniels, I always expect them to, at the last moment, turn the tables on David and it be and for it to have been clear that they actually knew all along who he was. Something like that. But it was it was actually as predictable as I thought, oh, right, it's not going to be that because it's too... But actually, it really was that. So I think that really should have been changed. However, I really, as problematic as the consequences are, I liked not the part about Daniels with a look of horror, as you said, Hicks, Um Although I actually think it would have been much better if she hadn't found out, just like the book, as you say. But I, what I liked was the way it was shot where David, he asked for that bit of music to be played, the entry of the gods into Valhalla, which, you know, dovetailed into the beginning with Wayland, And he walked through those doors. And it wasn't just one set of doors that opened up to see all those colonists. And he, you know, he coughed up the embryos. But then there was another set of doors. And I think the actual fact there was another set. Of, so you really got at that point the scale of just how high the stakes could be for the next film. The only thing was I was expecting him to, because he went into that part of the ship. I thought, oh, right, he's going to infect them. He's going to wake them up. And in fact, and he didn't do that. And it does make you wonder what's he waiting for. But that the way that the last scene was shot, I thought was really nicely done. I thought it was strange how he, he pukes up the the little face hunger embryos and they're encased in the same yes. gel that the, the human embryos were, which I, I, I was wondering about that too. Like, are the human embryos assigned to certain couples? Like how does that work? But, um, it was just strange. It was like, how did he do that? And do the face huggers not need eggs now? Like, oh, I don't know. I thought it was a little strange. I think they were actually chest burster embryos in some of the tests. I think. I'm not sure. I thought I think there were but I definitely remember two face huggers, but I think there might have been a chest burster. But they were definitely these no, no, two in, face huggers. In, in in the film I think they were definitely face huggers, but in some yeah. of the earlier tests I think they may have been chest bursters. Yeah, I, I, I think it was what I read yeah, I read that it was yeah. The finished film just has face huggers, yeah. yeah. It it was weird. Um, because like you say, they're in the seemingly in the same material is that just us nitpicking or is that no i mean i don't know how he got them in the first place so it might have been that he'd while the others were out sleeping or something he had had them in a different form and then you got hold of one of those little cases there are always different ways to have done it but yeah I, i agree that was a little bit confusing but it wasn't you know it didn't destroy the film for me Unless he'd somehow taken some of the existing embryos and... Oh, and changed them. Yeah, don't... Well, it, <laughs> yeah, don't, I suppose. 
mini egg morphing. Evidently, he somehow created alien eggs in the first place. So that might have been creepier, actually, if they'd well, have done to... something like that. Well, there's got to be some process, hasn't there, as to how he makes mm. them? So. Well, that would have been the ultimate form of egg morphing. Yeah, that would have mm. been yeah <laughs> quite creepy. As as for the direction of the next one. I got a fucking clue. It, you know, it, it could do anything at this point. You know. Well, you know, the recent comic Life and Death alluded to the Juggernauts being able to time travel. So, I mean, that would at least fix the continuity. If David <laughs> found an engineer ship and went back in time, I wouldn't put it past Ridley Scott at this point, and then crash the ship long in the past somehow. See, I don't, I don't like the idea of that, but. There's a lot of things in Covenant that I don't like the idea of but can understand. So, you know, David hates mankind. David creates his creature to destroy mankind. So rather than do it now while it's caused a load of issues, I can kind of understand him going back in time and trying to wipe him out at an earlier age. I still think it's stupid. I mean, I wouldn't like to see time travel become involved in the Alien films in the slightest. That's, that's up there with the alternate timelines as far as I'm concerned. I think the next one's going to have a million Davids. <laughs> it's going to be It'll like be a... you wanted one, there's two, and the next film's going to have Colony days. of Davids. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I th- honestly, I think I'm predicting it now. I've said it on before. I think what's going to happen is he's going to tra- we're going to see the trashing of the colony, and they're going to say, you know, we've got no way to help with it we can't help ourselves we can't communicate with earth this is it and then out of the sky you'll see a juggernaut and it's gonna be walter who's picked up an engineer who is like in stasis or something that wants retribution for what dave is going to do and that's how they're going to get the ship that's eventually going to crash on lv426 because it's going to be too much of a coincidence for them to go to what is it Oregay six or whatever it was called and for that to also be an engineer place it's going to be too Although having said that, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what they do. But no, there's a not. reason <laughs> why we did not see Walter like, definitively destroyed. All we saw was David's reaction, and he had already just a few moments before thought he killed Walter, and it turned out he was he hadn't. So I, I think there's there's got to be a reason we didn't see David. Um, I don't know. Corpse. I mean, we said the same things about Prometheus. There's got to be a reason this was not answered because they're not answering it in the sequel. So true. <laughs> I'll I, never I, get to find out what yeah, happened with that. Engine. I I think another thing, and this this is nitpicky territory, I guess. Um, but this was a colony ship to a first time colony world with two thousand colonists. I mean. Hadley's Hope, that had been an established colony for 20 <laughs> years, and that had a little over 150 people living there. Yeah. I could understand it if this colony had already been started, but for a first-time colonization mission, like, how does the atmosphere processor fit into all of this? Because they were saying, oh, this this planet is better than our most optimistic projections of Orgai 6. Mm. So they would have to do some degree of terraforming. You know, Daniels was the chief terraformer. How are they going to do that on that kind of scale? It just... I don't know, that kind of fell apart for me, too. Yeah, I suppose so. It wasn't something I particularly picked up on personally, but... Yeah, I can understand your concerns with that. Right, anything else? No, okay, cool. I hope you've all enjoyed this episode. Um, Omega Morph had to escape um, earlier, but he'll 
be appearing ghostly at the end due to pre-recorded awesomeness. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I'm curious, of course, to uh, hear um, your opinions on our opinions, any disagreements, any agreements. You know, Covenant seems to have been divisive enough. Yeah, divisive. As much so as Prometheus, I guess. Though the overall arcing uh, impression seems to be more positive than you'd think from listening to us. Um, but I do think that the more invested. No, no, that's unfair to say. Actually, we've all taken away different things. You know, the the franchise is isn't a unified fan base. I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can say it is unified because all the films are different. And there's different things in all the films that appeal to different people, uh, and vice versa, different things in all the films that people hate. Um, I don't think Covenant's any different from uh, from them in that regard. But I do think it'd be fair to say it's not doing very well in, in, in the box office, so we might not get to see another film, um, another you know Covenant prequel. I don't think that's... Personally, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't like the way the Scott's going with them. I would like to see a return to those sort of earlier successes of Aliens, you know, a, a collaborative effort of many different um, people, you know, contributing to each other's strengths and making up for the weaknesses. I would like to see a return to that. People who aren't necessarily proven and have something to prove. My opinion hasn't particularly changed over the course of discussing it with these guys. You know, there's things in it I love, there's things in it I hate. Um, ultimately, I enjoyed watching it it didn't frustrate me as much as prometheus did um and there's plenty to discuss i think and hopefully when we start to get more of the behind the scenes material we'll start to have a bigger picture of everything that happened is there any last words you guys would like to say any any wrap-ups yeah i mean we we've come down negative because you know, those are the kind of talking points when it's a roundtable discussion. But, you know, it does have entertainment value. I I found it more rewarding just as, you know, a viewing experience than Prometheus. Um, it's just that there are those little niggling points that you, you, you can't overlook when it's like, you know, the CGI of the aliens not being realistic enough or whatever. But, you know, there, there are some beautiful shots in it there are the characters are definitely more relatable um i know a lot of people are saying there are some every character does stupid things but i i didn't find that i found a lot of them had very believable impulsive panic at times Hmm. Um, and there were some interesting see this the other thing there were some interesting little glimmers of character development we had in interviews like for instance um like the same sex relationship um that there was like if you hadn't have known it already you would have been forgiven for thinking one character dies and you thought is that one of lope's old friends and i wish there were little things like that where they could have expanded upon and it could have been a better film and it's just disappointing when things like that happen however what there is is by no means a kick in the face although it is to the engineers i guess but um you know it's if you want to go out have some fun go and watch it It, it's it's a fun film as disappointed as i was as a sci-fi fan and as an alien fan there were still things i could enjoy about it i i loved the visuals i thought the spaceship was really interesting um 
I like the utilitarian look and design of it. This movie had some great designs. And like with Prometheus, mm. I'm getting some more enjoyment going through the art book and seeing all the talent that went into this movie. There was a lot of unused concepts. Um, a lot of things that I think may have helped the film in the end. I think ultimately, like with Prometheus, the failing here is with the story um, asking too many questions and not answering enough. This movie felt like it was yelling at you how smart it was. Um, but it didn't feel that way to me. The original Alien was a very smart film, although it was a very simple premise. Mm. Um, so for me, uh, sure, it was it was disappointing. Um, I didn't like how it fucked with the lore. That was really my biggest problem with the film. It was, yeah, it was a huge, huge disappointment to me as well in that regard. So, you know, I, I feel we're at the time where... I'm kind of saying, let's give the aliens fans what they want. You know, we haven't really had the, the Marines versus the aliens since the second film. And that's, I think a lot of people's favorite film. I think we need to go back in that direction and just have different directors, have Fox take some real risks, have different directors, try different things and don't worry too hard on, on making it cohesive because it's just gotten so convoluted at this point. I do think it's worth a watch. I think it's a very good looking film. It's entertaining enough. And I'm a highly invested alien fan. Um, so it, it didn't quite do it for me. And that's a shame because I was really pumped for this movie. Um, I kept my expectations measured. I, I knew after Prometheus, it was going to be depending on where they went with this, it would be hard for me to embrace it. And I ended up liking Prometheus more because it was something of a noble failure. It had big, big ideas and, and lofty things it went for. And I think I would have respected this movie a lot more if it had just gone for that. Uh, so it's a shame that it didn't. And I think the franchise, at least the alien franchise is in a very awkward place right now. It's a bit curious to see how Covenant's performance does for the future and what it's done in terms of the lore and the history and pretty much everything. I think it's turned a lot of a lot of stuff upside down. So it'll be curious. I'll be curious to see how everything goes from here, if it does. Anyway, and I, you know what? I think there's a lot more we could actually talk about, but at the risk of going on too much and being too particular and going in circles some more, I, I think it's time we. Uh, <laughs> We cut this one, uh, cut this one down and uh, sign off. So, as always, thank you to everybody for listening. Thanks to everybody who's joined in. Xenomorphin and uh, Ridgetop and Omega Morpho has disappeared. Uh, let us know your opinions on the episode. Um, appreciate everybody who's been reaching out to us recently. Everybody who's been uh, asking when the hell this episode's coming. You know, it's, it's always nice to know that you guys are listening and eager for more. Um, I'm curious to hear what you think of our take on the film as always don't forget to regularly check out the website avpgalaxy.net uh, feel free to sign up a forum account and join in on the discussions as old school as forums may be nowadays and we're also on social media outlets we're on twitter at avpgalaxy we're on facebook as Alien vs Predator Galaxy so thank you everybody again this is Corporal Hicks and Ridgetop Xenomorphine Omega Morph signing off